Part of our mega Spider-Man homecoming episode stacked and packed. We've laid the table in a way that really only MVM can. Going behind the scenes on the Sony Pictures Marvel Studio deal. The director and how it all came together. How Sony sold their merchandising mm-hmm. rights in the middle of the night. We've gone behind the page and looked at the teenager and what Teenage Spider-Man is all about. We've um, heard from some awesome people. We've told you to get the best T-shirts, the best geek T-shirts available from offworldtees.com worldwide. We've also paid tributes to the amazing likes of Peter J, Mikey W, Brandon Schmigilski, Randall Schmidt, George Bingham, Zach Thomas, Bastabier, Sam, and Bindi. Big up the world-class wrecking crew. The people that go beyond. They go beyond. All that's left for us to do now is to actually really get into things. Will, you need to take it away. It's your part of the show. It's 2017, baby. Let's Pless Play. Follow- do you want to do that one again? It was Pless Play. Yeah. Or L's for no reason. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm very bad at uh, words. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Will, take, take the reins. This is your part of the show where you speak immaculately, as you always do. Let's hit it. <laughs> Let's press play. I was really hoping you messed it up again. <laughs> you're, I had my fingers crossed for that one. You're a genuinely awful person. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> following the Battle of New York in 2012, Agent Toombs and his salvage company are contracted to clean up the city. But their operation is taken over by the Department of Damage Control, DODC, a partnership between Tony Stark and the US government. Enraged at being driven out of business, Toombs persuades his employees to keep the Chitari technology that they have scavenged and use it to create and sell advanced weapons, including a flying vulture suit Toombs uses to steal Chitari power cells. This was a great scene showing the aftermath of one of the biggest battles in the MCU and how the city of New York recovers after such an event. I think like we kind of heard in your uh, production wrap up the yeah. we went behind the scenes the idea of this this feels very ground level this does yeah. feel very kind of it almost feels like behind the scenes of a movie yeah. you know of of a, of a big event it's um it's very tangible mm. it's very tangible this kind of world that we're seeing it also sets up the villain in a way that we think okay it's not entirely uh sympathetic but oh, I, I, he's the most sympathetic villain I've oh. I've seen in Marvel. Well, I was going to talk uh, as, about the ends as, justifying the means, but yeah, the the bit where he starts to wanting to murder people, sure. But as this world that we're in, will mm. slides into um, capitalist turmoil, yeah. F these billionaires. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah go, with you. Go with ahead. Go ahead. Tombs. Do it. I, I don't. I don't give a. I don't give an F. <laughs> like take take down Tony Stark. Take down any of these these big mukti mucks that are that yeah. are screwing everyone over. The working man. What's he say when it when the dog's being taken away from him? He's like, I've got I've got eight guys working this job. We just bought trucks. Yeah. Like I'm I'm on Tombs' side. <laughs> yeah. This eight K. You got. You, yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's just I'm thinking of what happens next. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely there's, right. 
So there's a guy called Dan Harmon mm. who is behind Community and Brick, Brick and Morty yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And on one of his podcasts, he's uh, does like a he's an, he's does a lot of improv and he's improving a, a Superman script and he's just making it up as he goes along, right? Mm. And he has he starts the movie with bank robbers coming in to rob a bank. Oh, hey, and I'm then, the bank robbers. <laughs> it's okay. Dan Harmon. It's a joke that he only has a very limited amount of voices. Uh, when okay, he so he's improving the bank robbers coming in to rob a bank, yeah. and he um, <laughs> he has one of them call one of the members of the public. A, a homophobic slur. I don't think he actually says it, but he has. Yeah. And he says off the cuff, he says this whole thing about how because audiences in the modern world will not think someone robbing a bank is a bad guy because everyone's got it so tough. Economic need is no longer an indicator of a bad guy. So <laughs> if you're going to have a bank robber, be the bad guy and make you want to make the audience feel they're the bad guy. You got to have them like throw around slurs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and not not respect not respect other people's like humanity and autonomy yeah, and like it was that. one i paused the podcast and i was like that is so brilliantly well observed and i agree There's, yeah it, it, oh you got a rubber bank yeah yeah I, I i get it i understand it's like the start of breaking bad you're just like yeah well maybe that makes me think of all those little offsides that rick would say on rick and morty where it's like he's he's, he's making those wry observations that are quite Oh, I didn't spot that one before. He does it every now and again. Also, uh, apparently, I got told this uh, last night. New season of Frick and Morty coming very soon. So uh, hopefully, it will be less of a miss than be- it was. Better than the last one. Yeah, yeah, we want it better than the last one. Anyway, back to this film. It's going to be a long time, I think, until we do Batman 89. Rob, I really want to do Batman 89 so bad. I want everyone to stop calling it Batman 89. What do you want to call um, it? Batman. Okay, Batman. You can then say Batman, the 1989 one. That's fine. But this new thing that came up this year of calling it Batman 89 is for the birds. Get in the bin. Off to sea with you. Anyway, um, I'm looking forward to us covering Tim Burton's Batman. I'm very happy with that. Very happy with yeah, that. Yeah, but it, it doesn't make any sense to do it until Keaton's back in the role, which is allegedly going to happen next year. We'll see. Okay, but for the meantime... I will settle for Michael Keaton in this film. Brilliant. I, I love him. Everything I see him in pop up in, he's just just tremendous. Yeah, I, don't, I, I, I can't think... Um, even that dodgy... Uh, the, 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 the movie where he's like a stay-at-home dad or something, and it was like Mr. Wife or something, and it was a big weird one. Oh. Everyone was, it was such a, a unique concept in the 80s. One bad um, film I remember him being in, Jack Frost. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll forget yeah. that one. <laughs> Multi- multiplicity's a bit ropey. <laughs> oh my god, we just discovered that Michael Keaton's yeah. done a lot of bad films. Oh no, everything's falling apart. Yeah, family stuff. Yeah, uh, I guess. He's, he's he's good when he's um, either playing a villain, playing someone interesting, or playing uh, Batman. Also, uh, was it Birdman or How I mm. Loved Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb or whatever? Uh, <laughs> that's Dr. Strange Love's title because yeah, they have yeah, Birdman yeah. and then. This whole sentence after these great. Mm, I love that film. Really great good. Great film. Uh, also good seeing uh, Bokeem uh, Woodbine, as we know, is him as massive genius from The Sopranos, as well as his brilliant performance in season two of Fargo. Great, yeah. just great casting for we wouldn't expect. Season two, I think, is the my favorite season. I, I haven't seen the fourth one yet though, because it's not out over here yet. Fourth one 
I managed to see it the other uh, when it came out. It did was, you? You managed to see it, did you? How yeah. did you do that, Will? Oh, yeah. Because I am yeah. simply a criminal. A criminal, I, ladies and gentlemen. Nine nine nine. That's a friend. I I I talked about that sort of thing with a friend, and I called it doing the cheeky. <laughs> and then he just said, "Yeah, that's not a great way to put it, Will." And he said in a judge's voice, "Will Preston, I hereby declare you." into prison for doing the cheeky <laughs> it's a good job you're not part of something that relies on an audience paying for content <laughs> what, what else would you like to see will <laughs> oh god anyway what else did you think anyway i'm moving on uh also it's the first time i've heard the song can you hear me knocking outside of a martin scorsese film you know the little montage at the beginning when they're getting all the stuff and they start playing the rolling stones in the background Mm-hmm. I was like, great, this is not a Martin Scorsese film. I can hear that song. Uh, orchestral version of the 1960s Spider-Man theme in the Marvel, Marvel Studios credit was a work of <clears throat> massive genius. I really liked how this becomes, this is the Spider-Man theme. Yeah. In in this movie, this fits, this fits so much better than... The Danny Elfman, <laughs> essentially another Batman theme in a Spider-Man yeah. movie. It's much, much better. And whatever they had in, in Amazing Spider-Man was way too dramatic as well. The, oh. This this fits the character so much better. I mean, both uh, Danny Elfman and uh, who did The Amazing Spider-Man 2 again? Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer, yeah. you know, the, the bomb guy. I like, I like Danny Elfman. I like Hans Zimmer. But they were kind of phoning it in, uh, doing what they usually do with the with the uh, scores. I think a lot of the time. But yeah, this this uh, you know, the rest of the score for this film works. You know that's fine. But it's just this little touch at the beginning, really. Just it, when I see Marvel films in the cinema, if something makes me really happy, I tear up a bit. That made me tear up a bit hearing that. I was like, what a lovely little touch that was. Yeah. So, so we got tombs. He's a, he's a, he's a, he has a genius working for him. He's able to build these weapons in his crew, which is mental. Is that something from the comic books? This is a character you will know very well. Here we go. Uh, we've mentioned a lot, mainly on Obscure Marvel. So Is it Stiltman? No, no. Sadly, it's not <laughs> Stiltman. They call him Mason several times in this movie, yeah. which leads me to deduct that this is someone we've talked about a lot. This is Phineas Mason, a.k.a. the Tinkerer. <laughs> The tinkerer is the guy that builds the superhero weapon, the supervillain weapons, uh, the high tech gear and kit that all the supervillains need. Oh, and I remember now. A, yeah, yeah, so he builds the big wheel, uh, and he upgrades Rocket Racer's gear and stuff like that. He's a really cool part of the Marvel universe. He's like an old guy that's a a genius. Um, he he rebuilt the Spider-Mobile. Um, <laughs> this is all obscure Marvel references, folks. Um, and yes, the Tinkerer Amazing. does does sound like he's a bit of a nonce. Uh, <laughs> still, I don't, there's no way of getting around it. I, I, I wasn't of, thinking did, of that, but never did mind. you hear about Barry from Down? Oh yeah, he's a bit of a Tinkerer, isn't he? Oh yeah. I I just think of someone is someone who who spends a lot of time. Like with like, oh, trying to get these brass pieces to work in his shed or something. Yeah, t- t- well, it's t- 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 Tink is of course the one of the uh, main characters in Lovejoy. Um, <laughs> he was a tinkerer. The tinkerer, the terrible tinkerer, as he is first called, shows up in Amazing Spider-Man issue two, nineteen sixty-three. 
Um, Amazing Spider-Man 2 features two stories. Mm. The first story is the first appearance of the Vulture, and the second story is the Terrible Tinkerer. So they've uh, quite a nice little nod here. They've incorporated both these characters from issue two as part of this, oh, this narrative. Oh, very nice. Very now, nice. you may well have read Marvel comics for a long time and known of the Tinkerer, right? That he's this guy that builds like all these uh, high-tech equipment and weapons for like Mysterio and people like that. But he has this really weird origin mm-hmm. from the, from this, but only for this one issue. He appears in in sixty three in Spider Man two as a doddering old man who runs a repair shop in Manhattan. And when people bring in their radios and TVs and stuff to be repaired, he places bugs into them in order to listen to uh, what they're saying. And he uses it to spy on state officials and politicians. However, he is also working with a lot of big green aliens from the planet Zarblock or whatever, right? <laughs> the Tinkerer is not, a, is not a human. He's an alien disguised as an old man. Mm. And they're, they're, they're bugging TVs and radios to spy on politicians in order to destabilize the government to make invasion easier. Very swift. He fights Spider-Man. He escapes in a flying saucer. And Spider-Man finds left behind like a mask that looks like the Tinkerer's face. So revealing that mm. he was wearing a human mask the whole time. Mm. This is 100% weird for a Spider-Man story. Incredibly. This is before Stan and Steve Ditko had worked out the formula for Spider-Man. And, like, issue two, the Marvel Universe has only just begun. Let me tell you, this feels like an old story from the 50s in their sci-fi. Because they had loads of sci-fi, UFO, alien stories, which were short stories where, uh, 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 like, random Joe Blogs stumbles across a weird person who turns out to be an alien. That very much feels like Stan is reusing an old script here. Um, so they, this doesn't really fit in with anything else in Marvel at the time. This is not how aliens kind of work and behave in Marvel. So they just they brush it under the rug and they never mention it again. And then 13 years later, the Tinkerer returns as... Hey, he's a normal guy, he's an inventor and a genius, and he builds weapons for villains. And they set upon retconning all that alien stuff as to... (sighs) I would have loved it if they somehow incorporated the alien thing, but made it like... I'm I'm going to explain it to you. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) You jumped in. They, They revealed that all of it was an elaborate ruse. Yes, that's what I wanted. That the Tinkerer was merely pretending to be an alien. The, the big green aliens that we definitely saw in Fort Spider-Man, they were hired thugs in elaborate costumes. The flying saucer was just a special hovercraft he built, <laughs> and the mask was like a mask he had. Now, I'm not 100% sure how that helped his crime, um, but they were black- the, the, the idea was they were spying on, on politicians to blackmail them, mm. not to destabilise the government. And it's revealed... That one of the hired thugs wearing an elaborate costume that was working for the Tinkerer was actually Mysterio before he was able to branch out on his own. Ah. The very first elaborate hoax that Mysterio was a part of was working for the Tinkerer and being uh, and being one of those uh, bug-eyed pretend fake aliens. Oh, that I like that. I, is it, this is what I love 
uh, what frustrates me about the fact you can't read Marvel is these nice little retcons that aren't really retcons, but just sort of bending reality to suit them. And it just you know, nice here's something you didn't know before. Yeah. New information for you. I like that. It, and I uh, am angry I can't read any of them. You agreed to do the show. I agreed to do this show, Rob, but like admittedly two years ago. Look, 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 look. We've all we all agreed to things at first and then we go, ah, I regret this now. Uh <laughs> this is one of them. I enjoy the show, but man, I really want to read me some of them comics. Back to the story. Eight years later, as seen through home video footage, Peter Parker is drafted into the Avengers by Stark to help with an internal dispute in Berlin, but resumes his studies at the Midtown School of Science and Technology when Stark tells him that he is not yet ready to become a full Avenger. Two months later, Peter is back into the swing of things in high school, sneakily crafting web fluid in science class, planning to build a Lego Death Star with his best friend Ned, and developing a crush on Liz, a girl at his school. Much to the shock of his academic decathlon team, Peter tells them that he is quitting to spend more time working on his Stark internship, but really, this is an excuse to spend more time fighting street-level crime as a friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. The home footage, as I mentioned before, great touch. This is exactly how a teenager would react to a situation. Film it, vlog it, live react to it. Brilliant. It- it's also a great example of like very li- of how light-hearted this Peter Parker is. We've not seen that. Re- I mean, Maguire is very light-hearted as Spider-Man. Mm. Um, Garfield, I guess, is, is light-hearted as, as, as Spider-Man. But they're all quite Debbie Downers, aren't they, really? Uh, they 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 like to they have to have a, have a wine. This is this is the the great thing where you watch this and you do think ah this could be annoying. He could be annoying, but it's the right as kind. he should be as he should be because yeah. teenagers are annoying and he's he got, a kid. Yeah, yeah, and and he got the annoying part spot on. It was great, and there's this nice bit of self awareness to it if, and happy playing kind of the. Playing off it is so great. The sort of straight man, the annoyed uncle <laughs> role is great. I I think that was a great addition to have Happy Hogan yeah. be his be his go to guy. Uh, it's really odd though going back to this film after how the third film ended because like the whole the way the trilogy progresses, we'll get onto it when we of course handle the films. But it's so odd to see where it all began almost, and it's just it makes you realise what a journey this character took. I don't. I didn't really feel that myself, but it, it all feels quite recent to me. Doesn't feel. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I just think a lot has happened to me in the last five years. It feels like a more than a decade for me in in a way. It's really crazy, you know. Hmm. Okay, just me. The jokes in this uh, feel very natural and well executed. I feel like they don't feel like they're trying to cram in as many laughs as they can, but they take they they come quite naturally. Like. I think, yeah, I think, like, comedy is, like, a natural language of this movie. Yes. Whether it's, like, a, a thing off to the side, a little background thing. Uh, it's not, it's, it doesn't, it, it feels like the whole thing feels funny, mm. but it's balanced very well with with the the, the, the drum, dramatic bits, and it doesn't feel like it's trying to be funny. Yes, there, it ne- never felt great. forced. Especially, no, there, there was no. a bit where he has a conversation with the deli owner, with his local deli owner, and the yeah. way that plays off was just—it felt natural. It felt not improv, but like it—it it almost could have been. 
I think it's a, I think it's a, a bodega owner, but yeah, yeah. What's, yeah. what's a bodega? It's a it's a place that sells stuff and has a deli in it. <laughs> and people in New York, people in New York think that uh, bodegas like they they they're very pleased and proud. Their bodegas are like a huge part of New York life if you live there. Um, there's always a bodega cat, like we saw here, oh. um, and they they seem to think there's nowhere else in the world has a shop that you can go to at any time of the day or night and get stuff from. They're very proud of their bodegas. I think but, that's a great yeah. concept, uh, and I'm really happy to see that. I just thought it was a deli, but yeah, you're right, there was other stuff there too. It does it is say deli right on the, on the thing, but yeah, it's uh, just to get the flavour of Queens right, I think we want to staple our, our Queens credentials and say, I believe that was a bodega. <laughs> the Blitzkrieg uh, bop montage was brilliant, I thought. Nice. Agreed. It's like, hey, we're going to show a teenager having a fun time. Yeah, play the Ramones. Ramones is the go-to music for that. Also, the Ramones did a cover of the Spider-Man theme tune, I think. It's a great soundtrack all round. Oh, it's just stupendous. So, obviously, he's not meeting the Avengers too much in this film. He's uh, quite <laughs> quite distant from them. But we saw the, the huge thing at the start, though. We did see the huge thing at the start. We saw stuff like that, but... How does Spider-Man first meet the Avengers in the original stories? Does he meet them in an airport in Berlin trying to stop a man who's technically a war criminal now or something, as they say later in the film? No, the Avengers get lured to a mysterious temple by a robotic clone of Spider-Man. What a difference. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Spider-Man had crossed paths with, like, most of... Well, the... A lot of the Avengers individually in individual kind of things, but he's not really like it's. It's not like the the first time he quote unquote meets the Avengers is in an Avengers comic in 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 1964. He's on the front cover, and it's like the Avengers and Spider Man. But it's a bit of a misdirect because what happens is Iron Man leaves the Avengers. He's kind of missing an action. And the Avengers uh, it, uh, talk about how all oh, they need to get a replacement because with with Iron Man gone, we're 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 weaker than we were before. Mm. Meanwhile, in the future, Kang is watching on a time TV. Let's see, <laughs> sorry, something that sees through time, and he goes, "Ah, now is the perfect time to strike at the Avengers." Now yeah. Iron Man is gone; they're weak. So he's like, I will create a robotic replica of someone I think is so powerful they can destroy all the Avengers because of their vast range of powers. And he picks Spider-Man, and he's like, this dude's amazing. So he builds like a robotic clone of Spider-Man, a perfect one, using future technology, and sends him back in time to impersonate Spider-Man and infiltrate the Avengers. And uh, he kind of, the robot Spider-Man, is like, ah, I want to join. And they go, well, yeah, we're not really sure. Mm-hmm. We don't really know you. And he's like, I can sweeten the deal and know where Iron Man is. Because he, he's gone missing, hasn't he? Know where mm. he is. Follow me to this temple. This weird temple that's here. I, I think in New York, it's here. <laughs> and all the Avengers kind of go separately to this temple for some mm. reason. And as they arrive, Robot Spider-Man beats all of the Avengers, including Thor, with webs. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, to be fair, he he doesn't know this, but he webs Thor up whilst Thor is not holding onto his hammer. So, of course, Thor in the 1960s, without the hammer, 60 seconds in, he transforms back into a human, a disabled doctor called Donald Blake. 
Uh, anyway, Nicely then Spider-Man done. shows up, even though no one asked him to come. And he's like, I heard there was another Spider-Man running around and you're here. And so he beats up the robot. But he never meets the Avengers. <laughs> he leaves immediately. <laughs> so that's not quite... That's not quite... I don't know. Maybe that's the first meeting. He does, a couple of years later, try to join the Avengers for the first time. Nice. Um he uh they're looking for new members to recruit they try to recruit daredevil and he's like ah i'm really i'm really i'm not your man i'm really busy um and so they try spider-man hears that they're recruiting and goes to to join them but he's like at the time he's having this big emo crisis of consciousness Mm. as to whether what art may is really really sick and he's like uh if i join the avengers i won't be my own boss i'll have to reveal my identity to them i'd have to quit college to be an avenger art may's really sick doesn't she deserve my attention and he's like in a real bad mood where he goes for this interview and also the avengers are absolute dicks they (laughs) decide to test him by all of them being really mean to him and goading him into a fight. And Spidey's yeah. in a bad mood, so he's like, yeah, I'll have a fight with you, I don't care. And so this massive fight breaks out in the Avengers mansion as he just starts punching Giant Man and Hawkeye and, the, and Captain America's trying to hold him back, going, this isn't the way, son! This isn't the way! <laughs> and the sting keeps zapping him and stinging him, and the, the wasp keeps stinging him in the face. Yeah. And, this isn't the way, son. I like that. that Fi- finally, they agree to... They, like, that stops, and yeah. they go, well done. You proved that you're brave and, and like a fight. That's a thing we look for. Uh, and then they... <laughs> I think there's a few drunks in my local pub they could, they could take. Um, they agree on a like a challenge. He's mm. like, ah, the Hulk is roaming around New York. We need him captured and brought in. You go do that, and if you if you do that, you bring us the Hulk as your as your captive. We'll let you join the Avengers. So Spider Man goes off to fight the Hulk, and during the fight, he sees him turn into Bruce Banner, and for the first, the very first time, Spider Man becomes aware of this, and he learns about the Hulk's horrible life for the Ooh, first time. Very nice. And Spider Man's like, ah, I I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want to capture you. I don't want to screw with your already complicated life. So he just gives up and he goes back to the Avengers and he goes, I don't think I want to join you. <laughs> like I'm an outsider. I'll always be an outsider, and I don't think i agree with how you put yourselves above everyone else and make decisions for other people like bruce banner he's like those guys i'm a menace the same way the hulk is a menace what if they decide they're going to do this to me one day so yeah he uh he resolves that that's not really so it's like two really early like meetings um and that's yeah that's kind of how he first interacts with the avengers That, that is quite funny the fact they just hey let's test him let's test him by testing him by testing his patience yeah God. like oh you want to join us you want to join us then yeah 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 you want to join us oh. it's uh the the sixty stories are something else man they're really weird yeah I have a feeling that if I ever do get round to go through the Marvel comics I'm wondering ah should I just skip the sixty stuff and move on. I can't think of any comic like I can't think of any com- someone said to me the other day that they wanted to read all of Hellblazer mm. and I said oh there's no need <laughs> I've, 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 I remember Pick reading the early, the early issues from what I remember were quite good mm, they are they're tremendous but but any long running series has lots of ropey stuff mm. just just how it is yeah I'll probably just go on one of those uh, articles and say hey what's the best 
you know, the best yeah. like, arcs to read, the best story arcs. That always worked for me with Batman. Listen to this podcast, and then we'll, at the end, I'll tell you. Bloody hell. Should we do it? No. We, we, we One day we might handle Hellblazer. Who knows? No, I'm talking about in general reading comics. At the end of every episode, we tell you what to read. Yeah, we do. Back to the story. While being a friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man is a good way to spend time, Peter keeps calling Tony Stark for more Avengers work, only to go to voicemail with no response. However, one evening, Peter spots a group of criminals using Chitauri technology to rob a bank. Peter engages the criminals, but during the ensuing fight, one of them overcharges their laser and slices up not only the bank, but Peter's local bodega across the street. Parker immediately saves the owner from the flaming eatery before calling Happy Hogan about what just happened, who happens to be in the middle of relocating all of the Avengers equipment and Tony Stark possessions from Avengers Tower to the new facility in Upstate. Parker asks Happy if he can join the Avengers on a big mission, but Happy brushes him off and says that he'll be in touch. I like how uh, in this Spider-Man film, we've done a bit of basic street level crime and we just quickly graduated to guys with sci-fi weaponry in the first 20 minutes great yeah it is street level though isn't it it's just seeing it's showing how the street level is being affected by all these things bleeding in from this kind of big sci-fi world of the avengers it is it's that halfway point between a supervillain and thug and street thugs it's this nice little bridging gap which spider-man villains all pretty much are yeah you know it's this weird thing of they're all just kind of guys and bank robbers but with a weird power from an accident or a, or a cool bit of kit and and that, the tinker are built for them that, that all stuff that all stuff is related to the e- events in the mcu this is why i love this universe there's so there's mm. all these little bits that interact yeah i love it so it does does that Peter Parker actually work for Tony Stark in the Marvel comics? Uh, not well, sort yeah, sort of not, but not really. Um, we've we've have handled this a little bit in the past. Mm. So they when they first meet in 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 the comics, they don't really have much. There's no friendship really. They do recognize through adventures that they're both scientists and engineers. Yeah, each of them. So there's a little bit of uh, a sort of. It, it's more like professional respect and maybe professional courtesy mm. there's no real relationship up until the era of the marvel civil war aha due to go. a series of events tony stark recruits l- learns peter parker's secret identity mm. uh, spider-man's secret identity and recruits peter parker to come and work for stark industries and that kind of changes his life pete mj and aunt may all move into um, Avengers Tower, which is set, it is actually Stark Tower. Mm. It's only like the top floors that are Avengers floors. Um, around this time, Peter Parker briefly dies in battle, Ooh. and when he returns to life, Tony Stark has built a suit of armor for mm. Peter Parker to give him an upgrade and to basically make sure that that dying in combat never happens again. This is wow. This is called the Iron Spider Suit. It's the one with the uh, mechanical golden legs. Yes. Um, yes. We see aspects of it later on in the MCU movies. But this is essentially... 
it's all red with a gold spider so it's it is the color scheme of iron man's suit <laughs> yeah. he's essentially tony stark is essentially remaking peter parker in 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 in, in tony's image mm. it, it red and gold it involves mm. nanotech it's bulletproof it lets him breathe underwater it's got the four cybernetic spider arms um and this is where the tony peter relationship kind of originates it's very weird um (laughs) peter parker is not a teenager or a child in the comic books so you know tony tony's like i don't know in his i don't know his 30s or maybe 40s and pete's like 28 30 it's weird that there's this it's not there's this kind of mentor father-son relationship yeah it's very weird it's not terribly well thought of by uh long-term readers and fans uh, that aspect of it nothing wrong with him working for him and all that but that this kind of aspect of it where it's it's it, tony's trying to be his mentor and spider-man's like yeah a guy a bit older than me <laughs> sounds like my daddy um yeah and and then and then and then the civil war kicks off and Spider-Man feels that he like owes his loyalty to Tony Stark in this conflict, despite mm. the fact that Captain America is his hero and was his hero growing up. And despite everyone in his life telling him, Tony Stark's not a good person. He's on the wrong side of history. <laughs> um, but yeah, Spider-Man sticks with Tony, does something very, very shocking during the Civil War. We've got a big bonus episode exploring the entire comic book Civil War, all about this, including the very shocking thing Peter Parker does for Tony Stark. It's up there on, on our patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel for anyone at the VIEP tier or higher. Excellent. Very, very much looking forward to that. After feeling dejected by Hogan... When you say looking forward to that, you've already done it. We did it like a year ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. We're coming off the end of summer. Uh, oh, you've always got these excuses. When it was hot, it was, oh, it's hot today. And now your excuse is, oh, it, it was hot a while ago. It was It was hot recently. It was late hot. Do you know what I should have done? Was it's like, going to be September, it's cold. And- do, do, I, I should have made the most awkward backtrack during what I was saying. I'm looking forward to that. Yes, I'm looking forward to people listening to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I am not. It's a, a good, it's a big episode. We did a, we did a massive episode on the Civil War movie, and then we did a, a big, big deep dive into the, the comic book epic event. And it's, uh, yeah, it's up there. Do you know what? Some Every now and again, I'll say something stupid like that. I'll drop the ball a bit. And, I, and I, inside, I feel quite bad. But I've listened to a fair few podcasts lately of a similar ilk. And they make mistakes like that too. And I'm like, it makes me feel so comfortable that whenever people... I mean, it happens mistakes. all the time. Yeah, I, I think, I think, uh, I, I think... Like doing live, like hosting and like mm. being an MC uh, for comedy shows and presenting local radio, you kind of just get used to the fact that it doesn't it doesn't really matter. You just meet, you just correct, you just go, oh no, that I've got that wrong. Uh, yeah, what I meant yeah. to say was this, and move on. Absolutely, that's how we do it. Back to the story. After feeling dejected by Hogan's phone call, Peter sneaks back into his apartment, avoiding his aunt May only to crawl into his room dressed as Spider-Man without his mask I'm on. I'm going to have to... It, I, I'm just going to say, 
I think I need <laughs> if you call Happy Hogan Hogan in this, I am always and forever going to think of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I, 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 it's never, I've never heard, and I was like, "What's going on, brother? It's the Hulkster here. What's happening?" Like, no, no, yeah, guess sir. Uh... Hey, Hogan, you got any more? Got any work for me for the Avenger? I tell you one thing, brother. Tony ain't wanting to see you around no more. I know, I can't do Hulk. No, it was more macho. But yeah, I just had never, I had never considered Hogan. Uh, happy, Happy's phone call. I'm going to have to try and well, autocorrect. Obviously, you thought of uh, uh, Hulk Hogan, not, of course, Australian actor Paul Hogan, who no. has never been mentioned since the 90s. <laughs> they did a sequel 15 years after Crocodile Dundee 2 Crocodile Dundee in LA or something it was yeah f- 15 years what I don't want to go down, down this tangent I, but at the same time like, really, what caused that there's so many movies now well not so many but there are a lot of them where it's like it's been 15 years since we did this here's another like Johnny English I think was something like a decade <sighs> Since the Johnny English movie, they went. We've finally done a sequel. Were people after that? We, I thought we'd all sort of we we had Austin Powers and we moved on, right? The only time that that thing ever worked was when it was, uh, I think, it was Twin Peaks when that was actually planned, where it was going to be twenty five years until the next season. I don't know things like Tron Legacy kind of worked. Blade Runner twenty forty nine worked, but yeah, I think sometimes when it's it doesn't feel, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'd say you're definitely Blade Runner, but then again, uh, that's an entirely different kettle of fish. What happened with that? Anyway, as I was saying, uh, Peter sneaks Hulk back. Hulk Hogan's in, phone call. Paul yeah. Hulk, I tell you, brother. No, Peter sneaks back into his apartment, avoiding his Aunt May, only to crawl into his room, dressed as Spider-Man, without his mask on, in front of Ned, who is flabbergasted. To discover that his best friend is the web slinger. Peter tells a very excited Ned to keep this secret from everyone, including his Aunt May. During dinner with his aunt, however, the subject turns to Spider-Man stopping the bank robbery the other night and how Peter should turn and run the other way if he ever finds himself in that kind of situation. Now, I love... Uh, his and Ned's relation, uh, friendship. It is an incredibly adorable friendship. They are very good buds. Yeah, they set they set this the scene up quite nicely in the, in the first. Uh, Ned is as Peter is um, seeing Liz and being completely distracted. Mm. Ned Ned is saying to him, "Okay, so I'll come over tonight after you finish with your da da da, and we'll build a Death Star." So they set this this thing up of Ned thinks he should be there, and um, Peter didn't hear him because he was far too into watching Liz and. Having that, a nice little flirt moment. That I didn't spot that, but that is a very obviously you realise. Oh yeah, he was coming to build the Death Star tonight. But I, yeah, I, I didn't spot how how well it's crafted. all it's all set up very nicely. Yeah, just I love it. I'm finding more things to like about this film. Uh, let's not indeed gloss over Marissa Tomei, who is just brilliant in this and still incredibly hot. Um, I love she... her in My Cousin Vinny. She's she's brilliant. She's brilliant in every movie she's in, and mm. and without wanting to, you know, objectify it, she is so attractive. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I I have to say, um, removing like the de aging uh, Aunt May into someone that's really quite vital and <laughs> yeah. and um, 
and kind of very independent and everything it does it does kind of carry with it some big changes to the spider-man kind of story yeah um like his his responsibility to his aunt is a massive part of the character yeah like looking after her because his actions took away the uncle ben so there's yeah there's something kind of missing you know that and the and the and the the being broke are kind of missing from this uh but but if it means we get Marissa Tomei in a movie, I'm fine with that. It was I read uh, when I was doing my research on this. I read that Marissa Tomei sort of accepted the role. They got told by I think a nephew or something that that Aunt May is supposed to be really old, and she's like, "What? What the hell?" I think in terms of uh, objectification as well in this yeah. scene, like uh, um. Aunt May opens the door and talks to Peter and Ned. Mm. And Ned has this moment where he glosses over and he's like looking like really whoa, at, at, at Aunt May. Yeah. Um, so there's a moment of having the, the, the male gaze directed at Marissa Tomei in a nice way. Well, I think in a nice way. But then at the same time, Tom Holland is in his, is in his scants. Um, and Aunt May is like, I think you need to put some clothes on if you're going to be in this room. And I, so it's this moment, I think, where we've got two, um, two uh, slight for the uh, for the public to uh, have a have a little perv at. We've got Tom Holland in now, but his undercrackers, and we've got to miss to me looking gorgeous in glasses. It's fine. He was a bit old, you know. He's a bit older than his character's supposed to be. You're fine to look at his chest, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Ned, 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 Ned. What can you tell us about Ned? He just seems to have popped up out of nowhere. I've never seen him mentioned. He's not been in the previous movies, even as a bit character. I didn't see him. Was he just created for this film? It's a bit complicated. Here we go. Um, he he doesn't have a surname in this movie, but he, but he, he gets a surname in, in the sequels. He's Ned Leeds. Mm. Now, Ned Leeds is a long-standing, mm, or a brief, yeah, a brief, you know, a decade or so, um, Spider-Man character. Okay. Two decades. He's introduced as a reporter for the Daily Bugle, mm-hmm. and Pete and Ned compete for the affections of the Daily Bugle secretary, Betty Brandt, who is like one of Pete's earliest kind of uh, uh, love interests, Betty okay. Brandt. We don't have Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane until he goes to university, to college, um, years and years later. Betty Brandt um, is, is a big... Um, yeah, a big love interest, mm. and uh, and Ned Leeds is the competitor for the affections of, <laughs> and he ends up marrying. Um, Peter kind of drops out of the of the running for Betty Brandt, uh, knowing she won't be able to accept his double identity. Oh, woe is me! I can't be with someone I fancy. Yeah. So Ned Leeds marries marries Betty Brandt, and they you know are a Daily Bugle couple, but. The marriage is very often strained. Ned wants to write a big story about the kingpin. And to Mm. that end, he becomes associated with the kingpin's son, Richard Fisk, which draws Ned into the murky New York criminal underworld. Um, He starts to become very unstable and aggressive. There's a lot going on with him. He frames Flash Thompson. Um, He frames him in the public as... The Hobgoblin, the assassin. Oh, okay. Because he thinks Flash is getting too close to Betty. Um, meanwhile, Ned is so aggressive, he ends up hitting Betty, which turns like everyone against him. 
Uh, so Girls of Gore gets very, very messy. She is kind of driven into the arms of Flash after that. So Ned then frames Flash as the Hobgoblin because the Hobgoblin's identity is a massive secret to everyone, including the audience, the reader. Mm. We don't know who the Hobgoblin is, oh, which is nice. very similar to when the Green Goblin first started. And then the identity of the Hobgoblin is revealed, and it's revealed to be Ned Leeds. Ooh. It's a twisty-turny story. There have been retcons and, and repatches over the years. I, I'm very, I'm very, uh, I love the Hobgoblin. I love his design and I love the character and the different things that are done with him over the years. I'm very much hoping we can do a big Hobgoblin episode one day. Because I um, always had the Hobgoblin down because of Spider-Man 3 as... Uh, there's uh, no Hobgoblin in Spider-Man 3. I thought well, Har- I thought Harry Osborn was supposed to be the Hobgoblin. He's just a, just a guy on a glider. They call him <laughs> the Grey... He's actually referred to as the Grey Goblin on like Wikipedias and fan talk about what it. What is he? Yeah. Gandalf? I'm Goblin the Grey. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, okay. we've not seen we've not seen a Hobgoblin anywhere. Um, so okay, it's, it's now the time. Could I ask in a second who the difference between the Hobgoblin and the Green Goblin, or is that? Different people, different people, different color schemes. You've seen it's it's not that different in the animated series. It, I know, I know, but I was kind of watching it, going, "Oh, this is not what I expected." And like, what, who inspires who? I was thinking because there is some pa- very parallel thinking going on. We'll get to it one oh, day. I look forward to this. So MCU Ned Leeds doesn't have pretty much any of the regular Marvel. Ned, Marvel Universe Ned in him, the 616 character. Mm. But he does have a lot of another character in him. Miles Morales over in the Ultimate Marvel Universe, a completely mm. different timeline and continuity and everything. His best friend is an Asian-American teenager called Gank Lee. Um, uh, so once Miles becomes a superhero, Gank is the first person who like learns about like Miles' secret, that he's got powers. He's the one that encourages him to become the new Spider-Man. And Gank uses his computer skills to help Miles out. Good. So very similar to to the Ned Leeds we see in this story. Um, after the 2015 Secret Wars event, the Ultimate Marvel Universe is, I think, pretty much destroyed, and parts of it are merged with the regular 616 universe, mm. including Miles, Gank, and their respective families. Right. So... M- so, so Gangly is now a part of the six one six, along with Miles, although they never used to be. So Ned, MCU Ned, appears to be Ned in name only, and shares a lot more in common with Gangly. Almost like a composite character, if you will. Yeah, very nicely done. Back to the film. During a coach class, an excited Ned, noticing that Liz has a crush on Parker accidentally blurts out that Peter knows Spider-Man after hearing Liz is very fond of the superhero. Liz invites Peter and Ned to a party and asks if she can try and get Spidey to come too. That night at the party, Peter changes into his Spider-Man costume but notices a mysterious energy field in the distance and starts to swing towards it. However, He's in the suburbs, and there's barely any tall structures to swing from, forcing him to run the rest of the way. The source of the energy field uh, is Toombs' associates, Jackson Bryce and Herman Schultz, demonstrating their laser weapons to local criminal Aaron Davis, who plans on buying them. 
While watching them, Spider-Man accidentally gives his position away when his phone rings, causing the dealers to think that Aaron set them up, training their guns on the criminal. Spider-Man jumps down and tells the criminals to shoot him instead of Aaron. Webbing onto the back of their van as it drives off, Spidey is taken through the streets of the neighbourhood as the dealers fire lasers at him. Jackson manages to shake Spidey off the van with some evasive driving, forcing the web-slinger to try and catch up to the dealers for a few backyards. Just as Spider-Man is about to get back on the van, he's swooped into the sky by tombs in his vulture suit and dropped into a lake, nearly drowning after becoming tangled in a parachute built into his suit. He is rescued by Stark, who is monitoring the Spider-Man suit he gave Parker and warms him against further involvement with the criminals and to call Happy Hogan next time. Finding a piece of the dealer's Chitauri-based weaponry, Parker takes it home to study. So, uh, Jim Coach there, played by Hannibal Barres from the Eric Andre show. Another nice touch. Also, we get Martin Starr reprising his previously unnamed role from the Incredible Hulk film in 2008 as uh, Mr. Harrington, a teacher and academic decathlon it, coach. Is he reprising? I read that it's supposed to be a very subtle reprise. Those characters are supposed to be the same. What did he do in the Incredible Hulk movie? He, I think he was a lab assistant or something at, a, at the university. Ugh, Don't do this to nonsense. me, Rob. That's a bit of nonsense. Take my hand, okay. let's float in the air, anything's okay. possible. Sure. And of course, we get the brilliant Donald Glover. Great casting. It just Great feels casting. like... Um, uh, this feels like a Superman movie where yes. they've got all these all these great actors and in, 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 in fun actors in, in kind of clutch roles, even though they're not huge roles. Yeah. Because like, uh, you've got people like uh, Hannibal Barreto, I think, his incredible comedy chops. Absolutely love him. And Donald Glover, I, I'm trying to think, is this basically the cusp of him becoming, when he broke out as... Um, as uh, Childish Gambino. No, b- 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 oh, a, I mean he b- he was Childish Gambino, but it was before that. This is America. This it was is America. Massive. It was before that massive hit. That's what that, I meant. That yes. album. Yeah. So it's before. It's before that. Yeah. It's 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 just amazing they managed to quickly get him uh, just in that right amount of time. And uh, well, of course he, he there was a huge petition for him to be Spider Man. I. I think I read somewhere, and about he did. A, well. He did a whole comedy special. Well, not a whole comedy special. He's got a big routine in one of his comedy specials about it, all based on the Spider-Man pajamas he wore in a uh, oh, yeah. an episode of uh, Community. <laughs> oh, what a great episode that was! Also, uh, Martin Starr was great in Freaks and Geeks. Uh, if you can try and watch that show, only got one season, then it ended, but it was absolutely great. The uh, self-aware Ferris Bueller nod during this chase scene. I liked it. It was it was an obvious joke to go for because it you see you see it visually happening and it's like oh well might as well chuck in a, an actual nod to Ferris Bueller there. Also, using Wi-Fi to stream basically to connect to the Iron Man suit. I don't want to you know prick holes in anything, but I, I was just watching that bit. Every time I watch that bit, I'm immediately think of all the things that can go wrong with internet connections because of my background with technology and i'm just going oh thank god nothing nothing wrong happened there yeah but tony's got his own satellite and stuff i don't think he's got to worry tony's got nanobots he's got ultra wi-fi will in the matt fraction this is what this has always stayed with me uh about tony stark is one of these great things he did in the matt fraction series 
uh, Tony Stark buys, like, essentially he buys a, a, a Pepsi or a Coke company. Yeah. Right? He buys it, it's like, it buys it out of its Africa um, holdings. Mm. He buys every plan and all the things, and they're like, they sign the deal, and they're like, why would Tony Stark, the tech guy, want to buy, like, essentially Pepsi, yeah. but just in Af- Africa? And he's like, I don't want. I don't want to sell soft drinks. I don't care. I want your infrastructure because I want to sell um, HIV medicine. I want to give HIV medicine. Ooh. The only thing across the continent, some of these places, some across the continent of Africa, that's got this amazing infrastructure. You've got the infrastructure of the the plants, the factories, the 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 road networks, the transportation networks, and the distribution areas. And you've got chilled containers that can. That can hold the medicine. I was like, that's one of the most fascinating things I've ever read. <laughs> like in, in terms of ideas for uh, yeah. for the kind of approach that Tony Stark has to things. I, He's just like, nope, I'm just going to buy the company, rebrand it, distribute medicine. I, I'm just waiting for a billionaire to actually do something like that. Your move, guys. Come on. <laughs> Your move, billionaires that don't care about anyone. If, if, if uh, Elon Musk, if you happen to be listening to the podcast, please, please give it a think. Uh- <laughs> Or jump out a window, up to you. Either way, not fussed. <laughs> so, what happens the first time Spider-Man fights Vulture in the comics? Ah, well, New York's yeah. being terrorised by a, a bald old man called the Vulture. Um, <laughs> you, do, you make him sound like it's Uncle Junior from The Sopranos. That's exactly who he looks like. <laughs> um, he wears this old green costume and he's got these wings and he can swoop down yeah. on victims and what does he do when he swoops down on victories? On victims, he snatches their purse or their briefcase. He's just a mugger with wings. That's all he is, mugger and flies away where no mm. one can see him. No one's been able to photograph the vulture and J. Jonah Jameson. God damn it, he needs pictures. <laughs> this is the very first time we see Spidey realize he can take pictures of crazy people and Spider-Man fights and sell them. He's it's only issue two, but he's never done it. So the first time it happens is with the vulture. He he's like, ah, that 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 I'm sure I've not met him yet, but I'm sure he's perfectly sane. That perfectly sane J. Jonah Jameson needs pictures of uh of the vulture. I'll do it. I have to say, from what you've said about the early issues of Spider-Man, there's a lot of development that goes on. Like really a lot of uh, not world building, but like putting together the core aspects of the character really quickly. You've got J. Joma Jameson, yeah. you've got the in, in, you know the, some of the main villains being set up. Yeah, there's mm, a yeah. lot that goes on. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of time to hang around, really. You've got to bash, got to bash these comics out for people. Mm. So, um, they, so, yeah, Peter grabs a, an old miniature camera that Uncle Ben used to have, and he's like, I'll take this, I'll make a lot of money. They get into a little, he, he tracks the vulture down, he tries to take some pictures, the vulture spots him, they get into a, a skirmish, and the vulture... A little similar to this, he knocks Spider-Man out, but dumps him into a water tower. Mm. Um, uh, the big water towers they have in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, essentially, in a lot of like apartment blocks in America, they don't like no one builds the thing to move water around, so they put the tank of water on the roof, so the pressure carries it all the way down. That's why some cities in America have water towers, and we have not got anywhere near them. That's crazy. There you go. Yeah. Um, Oh, and there's a whole there's a whole um, documentary about a girl that goes missing, and they don't know where she's gone, 
and eventually they find the body and it's in the water tower. So everyone's been drinking and showering with body water. Anyway, that nearly happens to to Spider-Man. He gets dumped in the water tower and he has to kind of break his way out. And eventually he he realises that this guy is using an anti-gravity kind of uh, thing that he's built. Anti... he uses magnets to create anti-gravity. So Pete creates an anti-magnetic inverter, which he, uh, <laughs> he uses to just turn off the vulture's anti-gravity. And then he's just an old man, and he punches him and wins. <laughs> so he punches after disarming him. He just punches an old man. Yeah, so he beats him. Bang! Bang! You should, you should have just got like grabbed him and just sort of led him along by the shoulder and go on, trying to get you to prison. No, he tried to drown him in a water tower. Nah. Yeah, yeah, bang! Right in the nose. <laughs> I don't know. Even if an old man tried to drown me, I'd still be like, "Oh man, if I punch him, I might kill him." I'd drop kick that old dick. <laughs> <laughs> drop kick him. God, I'd push him down the stairs. I don't care. Mess with we're, me. We're learning so much about you. Today. I refuse to be drowned. <laughs> that again, I don't care I, how old you are. I, I being set on fire. I'm ambivalent. Being drowned, though. No, no, no. I refuse to be set on fire. I'll also, I'll hit you with my elbow with that one. Bang! <laughs> Back to near me. Oh, God. At Toombs's lair, Adrian lands in his vulture suit and immediately chastises his cronies about their reckless behaviour, using their weapons in the open. Herman arrogantly backtalks Toombs, getting himself fired. But Herman threatens to tell everyone about what Toombs You've got these the wrong way round. What? You've got these the wrong way around. It's Jackson who arrogantly backtalks Tombs. Okay, it's Jackson who arrogantly back backtalks Tombs. Begets it, but uh, he doesn't get himself fired, does he, Jackson? You've just got the characters mixed up here. Does he? Does Herman backtalk Jackson? Herman. Herman is the black guy. Jackson is the white guy that gets killed. Ah. Okay. Herman arrogant because I I think I've put him as Jackson for the rest of it. Well, you're going to have to keep correcting yourself. I swear I... Nope, I've double-checked this. If you look, if you Google Spider-Man Homecoming, Herman Schultz... I am Googling Googling this right now. Oh, he is. Oh, boy! (laughs) (laughs) This is... uh, Yeah, this... It's been very hot recently, Rob. God, here we go. (laughs) It'll be too cold for him to do his job properly soon. That's a nice little crossover. Too many leaves in autumn. Leaves on the track. Couldn't do a job properly. There we go. Jackson arrogantly backtalks Toombs but gets himself fired. Her, but her, but uh, Jackson threatens to tell everyone about what Toombs has been up to, including Adrian's wife. As a cold-blooded retort, Toombs uses one of the weapons to disintegrate Jackson and hands over the shock weapons over to Herman Schultz, dubbing him the Shocker. Again... Great turn from Keaton playing a villain here. We barely ever see him play a villain. I think he did a good job. Although, to be fair, it was quite funny that he thought it was the disruptor ray or something. Yeah, he accidentally murders him. Accidentally murders him was quite quite a nice touch. Yeah, so the Shocker, that is a character from the comic books. I remember him popping up in the uh, uh, cartoon, so he must be a character from the comic books, right? He is, yeah, uh, and this one is a little weird. So Herman Schultz is the shocker in the mm. comics. Okay. Um, and But, but you, you, do you remember what the shocker looks like? He, he has, he, he's he has got loads this, of uh, pillows. 
he has this yellow and brown pattern. Yeah. And and it's quite like a yeah, his costume looks like it's made out of a duvet. <laughs> Jackson Jackson Bryce, the actor playing Jackson Bryce in this movie, is actually mm. wearing the same kind of distinctive yellow and brown pattern on his sleeves and his jacket in in, in we we see him right before he's killed. Oh. Which might be where you got mixed up. No, I I, it, it, that wouldn't be the reason why. This is genuinely me being thick. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the shocker's got the, the shock gauntlets. It looks weird. It kind of looks like it's made out of a duvet. <laughs> he he first appears um, uh, in, in, in 1967. He's a self-taught engineer and safe cracker who uh, invents a pair of gauntlets that can produce powerful vibrations that can destroy safes and then they get more and more powerful and they can like destroy the the, the roads and buildings and cars and stuff and so he he builds a battle suit and becomes a mercenary for hire um, i remember in, him in, popping up in the video games i remember him being quite fearsome in the games he's a perennial perennial spider-man villain mm. in an interview uh, john ramita junior john ramita not junior, senior, who who created the character, the design, and everything, discussed the design of the character. He said, I used a lot of very subliminal feeling. Mm. While designing the Shocker costume, for some reason, I thought, cushion and quilt. <laughs> I'm thinking, if the guy has a shocking vibrating power yes. that makes buildings fall apart, then mm. there's going to need to be some kind of cushion effect. So subliminally... I gave him a cushiony costume. That actually makes um, so much sense. I mean, it's funny, but it's like if if you think if you, if you ever gone into like a recording studio, you have the the, the shock absorbent cushion things at the side. I have them right here in front of me. Yeah, yeah. just think uh, of that a, at a bigger level. Yeah. He's a kind of generic bad guy to begin with. Mm. The shocker's personality sort of develops a bit over time. He doesn't. We, we eventually learn that Herman Schultz doesn't really care about being evil. He doesn't want to take over the underworld or be a crime boss or anything like that. He just wants money. Mm. He wants a very comfortable life and he wants to get as much money as he can. And he's got these things he can do. So. He, he he gets a reputation for being a bit of a low-level loser of a henchman. Mm. Now, weirdly, the white-bearded guy, Jackson Bryce, who has the gauntlets to begin with, Jackson Bryce is the name of another Spider-Man villain. Here we go. A mobster known as Montana. Oh. Um, He's a Spider-Man and Daredevil villain. He used to he usually works for the Kingpin. He's the leader of a group called the Enforcers, who are just like regular guys. Like, well, they're mobsters and and hitmen, and but they've each got like a slightly a, a slight flair to them. Like one is abnormally big and strong, and he's called Ox, <laughs> and the other is. Uh, He's got a his his thing. He's got a gun. Uh, I think f- that's his thing. That's his ability. No, there is a knife. Fancy Dan. He's he's called Fancy Dan. He's got very quick footwork and he's very kind of acrobatic. I'm a fancy dapper Dan, Dan man. I'm a fancy Dan man. And Montana, who has got a lariat, like a like a like a lasso, very very oh, good yeah, with the lasso, yeah, yeah. and he's from. Montana. There so we he's go. known as Montana. He leads the enforcers and they get hired by people like the Green Goblin and um and uh, and and the Kingpin. Uh and they generally fight Spider-Man and Daredevil and stuff like that. In the comic books, Montana, Jackson Bryce has nothing to do with the Shocker. Nothing at all. Mm. And yet here he is as the original Shocker. 
even weirder, this isn't. This is the second time that, for some reason, Jackson Bryce has become the shocker. It, outside of the comics, it happens in a 2008 cartoon series, The Spectacular Spider-Man. In that cartoon, Herman Schultz is not the shocker; it's Jackson Bryce. I find no reason that I can work out. So this is the second time it happens, even though it has never happened ever in the comics. I, I, I don't know. Maybe this was a little nod to that cartoon series. I don't know. This would be a perfect opportunity for me to go, oh, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly why I got them mixed up. But I'm not, <laughs> I'm not proud. I'm not, I'm not too proud. So I'll just go, yeah, I, I messed up. Back to the story. The next day in shop class, Ned and Peter study the Chitauri technology he found. But as they exit the class, Peter sees the dealers he chased the night before, walking around the school, trying to search for the weapon they left behind. Using a GPS tracker that Tony Stark put in the Spider-Man suit, as well as many other gadgets, Peter and Ned pinpoint where the dealer's hideout is, Maryland. The next day... Parker joins the Decathlon team and accompanies them to Washington, D.C. for their national tournament. During the bus trip, while Ned is keeping track of the dealers, Peter gets a call from Happy Hogan asking why Parker is leaving New York. Wanting rid of unwanted attention, Peter, with Ned's help, removes the tracker from the suit, but also discovers the suit's system is holding Peter back from some of the suit's more advanced features. I love the way this film focuses a bit more on Peter's uh, school Spider-Man balance. And you know what? Watching it happen and focusing on these things, it just it just comes off very anxiety-inducing. It's like a nightmare, this whole balance of doing these two things. It's like... Absolutely, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> me doing a full-time job during the day and then having to do comedy in, in the evening and stuff like... Well, not having to do. I do it out of my own choice. But, you know, doing that balance, I'm like, oh, this can get a bit much at times. But if if... Like my my comedy stuff was like a twenty four hour a day thing that I'd have to do at any point, yeah. And, I, hold, and keep secret. Sorry, and keep secret. And keep secret. Oh my god, I would go mental. So I can I can really <clears throat> really empathise with Peter in this. There's a series, right? Who, who's the actor that plays Dan in Alan Partridge? Peter, is it Men- Mengen? Mangan? Peter Peter Man- uh, which da- oh oh Peter Mangan yeah I think it is him yeah Man- yeah. yeah he was in a, a series a drama a, a, sort of a drama comedy that Sky did mm. and it was all about a man um, a bigamist that had two families oh incredible and it sounds kind of sensational right yeah. and you go ah a bigamist he must do it because he you know loves to I don't know you know blah. but it was it, it, I I watched about three episodes it is so tense mm. this guy is suffering the whole time as he tries <laughs> to keep his lies in 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 order and yeah. tries to keep worst of all both families live in the same city no. which is an insane thing to do normally you hear about it happening on the other side of the country or whatever yeah. but it is a constant it was a constant i i really liked that there was this juggling act. It was, it, like you said, an anxiety-inducing yeah. nightmare. I forget the name of the show. It was, um, it was quite interesting. I did see. I think I saw a poster for it or something, or a po- uh, you mm. know, they're advertising it. That sounds genuinely good. In, in, in the comics, it's 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 Peter's life. It's just that he is always sacrificing the things he wants. Um, and and he up until Gwen Stacy's death. 
Um, he, uh, he, he's, well, he does make some selfish choices along the way and he questions it and all of that. And it's, it's, um, yeah, go back to that amazing Spider-Man two episode for how much that alters Pete's kind of like outlook and philosophy on life. Mm. But yeah, he's always, he's always, you know, caught between the two torn on the, on the, on the tightrope. Oh, damn right. That night, Peter sneaks out of the hotel his team are staying at and tracks down the dealers while getting a suit tutorial from Karen, the suit's AI. Activating advanced combat mode, Peter realises he's in way over his head removing the training wheels program on the suit. Accidentally firing off an array of different weapons within his suit, Spider-Man doesn't draw attention to himself during this, but spots what the dealers are doing. They're Toombs' men, and he's using his technology to steal equipment from DODC trucks passing through. Attempting to foil Toombs' robbery, Spider-Man accidentally seals himself inside the DODC truck and wakes up trapped in a DODC deep storage vault, missing the school decathlon tournament. Confined to this airtight warehouse... Spidey takes the time to get to know Karen better and practice the suit's unlocked features, as well as telling the AI about his feelings for Liz. Going through the bag that Toombs tried to steal, Karen informs Peter that the glowing energy crystal that he recognised from the Chitauri pot that's currently in Ned's bag is an unstable energy core that will explode at any moment. So, fun fact... The voice of the suit is Jennifer Connolly. No more great casting. That is such a... In these little roles, yeah. Great, great, great little touch there. The suit's advanced combat mode uh, reminds me... This is going to be a bit of a geeky one. When I deep dive into a video game I'm not so familiar with, and I have no idea about any of the extra moves, features, or anything else I'm supposed to be doing, and start panicking. And I tell you what, it would be great... If there was a handy series of YouTube tutorials for this suit, well, it felt to me very much like the 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 training the the introduction tutorial on on every video game these days, where some a character talks you through, tells you what to do, yep. and sh- and and it's a head display. It felt very much like they had built a lot of this to I don't know help facilitate into the into the to the video game that they're going to release or whatever it was. They, they, they never really released a video game in the end, sad. Well, they, well it they... feels very much like a video game setup, the oh, tutorial. it's an absolute classic video game setup. But a lot of the time, you'll have games like, I'll, I'll, I'll say No Man's Sky, for example. You do get a basic tutorial, but then there's hundreds of other stuff you don't know anything about that you don't get a tutorial for, and then you have to go out your own way and search things. And it does feel mm. like this, like you're suddenly in the deep end. Yeah. Sorry, I was putting my hand up to talk about something. I wasn't saying stop. I was about to talk about something. Stop it, Will. You're talking about video no, no, games again. On, We've talked. No, that was literally it. I mean, No Man's Sky is a, a big thing. Minecraft is another thing when you have to actually go online to look at you know all the different combinations of things, what you're supposed to do, how does this aspect work. Yeah. It's Even the way that the screen was kind of designed, oh. where he's picking what different webs he can do. Yeah. That looks like a video game screen. It's, to a, ra- me. it's a radial selection screen. You get those yeah. are very familiar. But the thing is, at the same time, looking at that screen, how intimidating is that? That is incredibly. If if that happens to me in a video game, like too much uh, menus, too much user interface, like uh, uh, Hideo Kojima 
uh, is very infamous for this. When I try to play Death Stranding, there's so much of that, and you just go, too much for me, I'm not playing this anymore. Because it, it, it's a make or break sometimes in a video game where you are you easing into it or if they just dumped a whole load on your plate and that can be the point right. where you go, I don't like this game anymore. Witcher 3 is another one that kind of did that to me, but I will, will get back on that at some point because I've heard nothing oh, good. but good keep, things. Keep us informed, yeah. Let us know if you get back onto playing Witcher 3. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you kept such a straight face when you were saying that. that it's was... the way you, you always you, you you you. It's like you're making a pronouncement to the world. But I will. Don't worry, folks. I will play that video game again. And Rob, like, oh, great, Rob, cool. Rob, Rob, Rob. <laughs> if I'm doing a podcast, if I'm doing a podcast, everything I do is an announcement to the world in my book. So it has to be dramatic, important because just, no, I, I just I want to know. I just want to make sure that the next time you play Witcher Three, you let us all keep us all informed. So how are you doing so with we, your gigs, so Will? Uh, all... Oh, and by the way, started playing Witcher Three. Again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So back to the uh, back to high tech Spider Man with his video game menus. It's a big departure from the previous movies because I mean we had uh, Tobey Maguire didn't even have web shooters, and then the next uh, then we had Andrew Garfield with web shooters, and now we've got mm. web shooters. And everything else is this something they invented for the movie? Oh, not not at all. No, like oh, good. Uh, bes- besides the the thing we already talked about, like Tony Stark building the Iron Spider suit that we mentioned. Yes, exactly. If you take Tony out of the equation, Peter Parker is a genius inventor. Mm. That's well established in the comics. The first kind of the f- second thing he does is invent web fluid and web shooters. Um, it's glazed over in this movie, but in the comic books, he's always inventing gadgets. Always, like every time he has to beat the bad guy, like we talked about, he beats he builds an invention to beat the vulture's flight suit. Yeah, um, he he invents uh, things that we see in this movie, like the spider tracer, which he is able to. That, that's not a Tony Stark thing in the comics; it's a Peter Parker thing, which he he fires out of his uh, web shooter or whatever, and it sticks onto people, and he can track them. Mm. He invents new webbing weapons, like it's a web grenade or bomb or something yeah. like this, but it's called impact webbing in the comics. He invents a, a, you know electric taser webbing and. Stuff like that, in insulated webbing for when he's battling Electro. Um, I think what they did in this film here was make it that is Tony Stark's thing because seeing uh-huh. a teenager with with you know with web shooters is enough, and the rest of it will just be like this is a lot to take on. Does does he need or but there, yeah. there's no need for him to have all this stuff really? No need. Uh, it's a bit odd. Way back in the nineties, Spider Man had to create. Um, like an armoured costume to protect him from some high-powered, gun-toting bad guys that were out with armour-piercing bullets and stuff mm. that could get through his web shield. So he um, updated and he created a, a special like silver armoured costume that he's updated over the years and has uh, has a lot more protective and strong, has loads more kind of fighting gadgets in it. Mm. Um, during Dan Slott's amazing run on, on, on Amazing Spider-Man, he really emphasised Pete's inventions and intellect and stuff. Um, 2010, we see Spidey in, in, invent a high-tech stealth suit Ooh, very that nice. is a completely different colour design. Mm. Um, it's kind of like a, a, a dark... Is it a black or is it a dark, dark? I think it's a... Yeah, it's black and then with, like, purple piping um, that turns 
kind of um, neat, sort of light neon green when he goes invisible. Um, so it's 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 a stealth suit that shields him from cameras and eyesight, and it has um, it protects him from sonic weaponry and you know cloak device, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So so Pete is always inventing high techy gadgets and stuff to fight crime. I. Yeah, I I, I, I I like that aspect. Because when you say high-techy gadgets, you make it sound like he's kind of tinkering but kind of having fun with it as well. I like that. It's feel. always it's always in response to what a bad guy has just done to him. Oh, it's like, so, so it's kind of like stealth, Batman with his prep time. It's reactive, though. Yeah, so yeah. Um, it, the stealth suit is invented because the new Hobgoblin arrives and the new Hobgoblin has got... Um, a a sonic cackling laugh which can disable people around him. So Spider Man's like, well, I need to build something to um to block that out, and mm-hmm. he ends up creating the stealth suit. Now, in th- at the same time, Dan Slott's run, he works for a um a tech company as an inventor, and every time he invents a new thing to stop a bad guy and a villain. Peter Parker adapts it to be an invention that he can sell to the, the company can get the intellectual property on and sell to the world. So the noise cancelling things become new noise cancelling headphones, like the the greatest noise cancelling headphones the world's ever seen that they can sell to people that are you know using pile drivers and operating heavy machinery and stuff. So mm. he's able to take all his Spidey inventions and uh, use them as kind of practical real world um, inventions and sell them and stuff. Excellent, excellent. Right, back to the film. Breaking out of the vault by hacking the door's controls, Spider-Man hitches a ride on a DODC truck and other vehicles on the way to DC before the Chitauri core explodes. Finally getting through to Ned on the phone, Spidey is too late. The group of students have already boarded an elevator inside the Washington Monument and the energy core has detonated, stopping the elevator which will plummet in minutes. Climbing to the top of the monument and trying to break through the almost impenetrable viewing window, Spidey is ordered to return to the ground by a police helicopter. Calculating the right amount of centrifugal force needed, Spidey dives over the helicopter, webs onto the landing struts, and swings around with enough force to break through the window. Just as the web slinger smashes through the glass, the elevator starts to plummet, but Spider-Man uses all his strength to web the elevator before it crashes at the bottom. This was an incredibly well-executed set piece in my book. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, Anything that involves heights does it for me. I immediately, mm, really. I'm like, oh, because I don't like heights that uh, at all. But it was... The- I- it was the way there was a f- real physicality to it. Like, you've got to use the centrifugal force, swing around, bam, through, and then immediately he, s- he comes in through the window, slides on the floor, just in time. There's a real intensity to this bit. Yeah, I, I agree. It was really, really well put together, and it looks really good. Mm. It does stand out to me, though, as I think about the movie, as a bit that almost feels like it kind of doesn't necessarily need to be there. Oh, come on, um, why? It's a... Well, I mean, it's because they because they go to this other place, and it, it's it's everything, everything about the de- about the damage control thing that's all needed, and yeah, I don't know, yeah. it just it just feels like oh, we need we need we need a big action set piece as well. Um, I guess it's it's not. I'm not saying it's bad. I enjoyed it all. It just feels like you can lift it out of the movie, and I don't know if it changes anything. 
Um, it's so it just well, it, whenever I think about this movie, I forget this bit's in it because well, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I was thinking to myself, isn't that in the second one or in some other well, it, movie? It's, or it's well, we're going to obviously talk about it later in the film, but I think it's one of those bits that makes that you know that, that that points the fingers at where is Peter Parker when Spider Man's about? It's one of those extra bits you could replace sure, it with another. But it's not. Thing. It's not in there for that though, is it? It's, it's just. It's yeah. It's don't get me wrong. It's 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 great, but it's one. It just stands out to me because I'm always forget it's in this movie. I always think that must be in one of the other ones because mm. in this movie it's kind of all New York. Yeah, I have to say it did feel a bit weird going outside New York in this film. Mm. Odd, yeah. It, it there was also like the whole thing where where Happy Hogan's like ringing him and and, and all this stuff. You it does feel like there's this sort of tether to New York, and he's like really stretching that tether. Yeah, yeah. It re- I really felt it here. Uh, back to the film. Back in New York, Pete uses Karen's video records to get an identity match on Aaron Davis, who was at the weapons deal back in the suburbs. Spidey tracks down Aaron as a parking garage and um, intimidates the criminal into giving him information on the dealers. While the interrogation technique and technology does nothing to intimidate Davis, the criminal remembers how Spider-Man told the dealers to shoot Spidey instead of him and gives Spidey the information about an upcoming deal on the Staten Island Ferry on the down low. Will we see more of uh, Donald Glover in the MCU? Because I bloody love that man. Well, we've had five years and it hasn't happened. Yeah. Um, we've had two movies and he's not cropped up. That's a shame. Uh, and he plays a character called Aaron Davis, uh, which does sound familiar. Someone we should know from the Marvel Universe, right? It'll sound familiar from the Spider-Verse movie we did. Yes, there we go. So there Aaron, it is. Aaron Davis mm. is the ultimate universe version of The Prowler. Um, mm. In the in the regular six one six Marvel universe, there's a character called the Prowler, um, Hobby Brown. He's um, uh, he's he starts off as a he's a tech engineer. He's very clever. He builds a tech costume. He sets off to be a burglar and a, a prowler. Um, he's going to rob the payroll office of the Daily Bugle, um, but um, Peter Parker catches him in the act, and it it ends up. Basically, with um, Spider-Man convincing the Prowler to kind of turn his life around and to try and use his cool, uh, uh, cool tech things to be a good guy, and mm. he does. He, the Prowler goes on to become a kind of good guy. I love the Prowler's costume. One of my all-time favorite costumes. It's awesome looking. It's um, very Silver Agey, but it's still really cool. Oh, lovely! In the Ultimate Universe. This version of the Prowler is Aaron Davis, and he's the uncle of Miles Morales. I remember now, yes. He's like a professional cat burglar. He's a dangerous, dangerous dude. Um, He kills the Tinkerer in the Ultimate Universe and claims all of the Tinkerer's advanced high-tech gadgets um, for himself. So that's how he builds this like um, high-tech suit and basically becomes the Prowler in the Ultimate Universe. Mm. And now he he does die in the Ultimate Universe, but by virtue, and we'll get to it one day, by virtue of Miles Morales's Miles and all of his family being merged with the regular Six One Six Universe, somehow that also managed to bring Aaron back to life. Um, Uh So once the once these aspects Mm. of the two universes are merged, Aaron Davis is seen. 
in the 616 universe, alive and well, and equipped with a variant of the Iron Spider armor instead of his Prowler getup. And he creates his own version of the Sinister Six to oppose his nephew. I would like to see that happen later. But who knows? Back to the film. Without a moment to lose, Spider-Man reaches the Staten Island Ferry and glides on board and tails Shocker. At the car storage below, Spidey watches as Shocker initiates a weapons deal with Mac Gargan, another criminal. Using a surveillance drone, Spidey watches as the dealers uncover their cache of high-tech weaponry ready to sell to Gargan. Just as the evidence is revealed, Spidey gets a bypassed video call from Tony Stark wondering why Parker has been up to various hijinks. Getting distracted from the weapons deal, Spidey hangs up and swings into action. The dealers alert Toombs about the presence of Spider-Man while the web-slinger effortlessly takes them down. Michael Mando as Mac Gargan. Yeah, another welcome addition to the cast. Brilliant. It's, yeah, yeah, good cast all round. Yeah, they, they just don't stop coming. He was uh, brilliant in the in Better Call Saul that just ended recently. Tremendous. And also, Mac Gargan. Familiar name. <laughs> We've uh, spoke about him before, haven't we? Who is he, Will? It's the Scorpion, isn't it? It is the Scorpion, the yeah. The Scorpion. Um, to refresh your memories, the Scorpion in uh, the Marvel comics, he's a private investigator hired by J. Jonah Jameson initially to, to learn how exactly does Peter Parker get all these pictures of Spider-Man. And then uh, later on, Jameson this is back when J.J. Jameson kept inventing supervillains. Um, <laughs> yeah. The golden he, age of Jameson. <laughs> he turn, he decides to turn Matt Gargan into a deadly adversary for Spider-Man. Um, for God's exposing sake, James, him to a, a gun. <laughs> <laughs> exposing him to a barely tested medical procedure, which leaves Gargan with an unremovable armoured costume on. That he can't take off. It causes him immense pain, and it's scorpion themed. He has this deadly, deadly tail he can control, and it also leaves him with predatory, the predatory instincts of a scorpion. Mm. Um, and he's kind of driven insane by this mutation, and ends up becoming a, a dangerous criminal. And he menaces um, Spider-Man, and also is always out for revenge against Jameson, who he blames um, for the the horrible thing that happened to him. And, and Matt Gargan also would go on to become. The third, the third uh, Venom, the third host of the Venom symbiote. Ooh, um, interesting. And so he loses the Scorpion powers, but becomes Venom. Or does the suit does, does the suit fall away or something? Or I, it's re- I forget how it is removed from That's, him. It, yeah. it's, it's removed at some point, and he's in constant agony. And then the symbiote bonds with him. It does feel, you know, we. Prowler, Shocker, uh, and 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 Scorpion. It does feel like they are quickly building up characters that could be, uh, you know, Spider-Man antagonists and villains and stuff. It feels like they're getting as many things as they can quickly up their sleeve or into their back pocket just but, to pull out at some point. Yeah, but not like doing. Let's do loads and loads of villains. Yeah, it, these guys are kind of like henchmen. Well, and, do you remember and the f- background? Parts. Well, do you remember the first Batman film? Uh, again, mentioning it again, the uh, they the ha- second Batman film. Yeah, 
Oh, 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 of course, 1966 Batman film, we got that. Uh, the Tim Burton Batman film, we had Harvey Dent played by... Mm. Uh, I, I was going to say Lando Calrissian. It's Billy D. Williams. Yeah, no, that's fine. Lando Calrissian's fine. Yeah, ba- Billy D. Williams. But that was supposed to be a similar thing. They were setting up Harvey Dent in the t- in the film, and in the third film that then became Batman Forever uh, by Joel Schumacher. It was supposed to be he was supposed to play Two Face in a thing like, oh, remember this character? Now they're they used to be a good guy. Now they're a bad guy because that's always the thing with Harvey Dent. You got to set him up first. And then he becomes Two Face, and it becomes this. Oh no! One of Bat, one of Bruce Wayne's friends is now a horrible person, sort of thing. They, this does feel like that. Like set, setting things up for the future, yeah. Setting yeah. things up subtly for the future in a way where it's you're not required to do it, but it's just putting it in there just in case we ever get to that bit. We've already yeah. set set the road to it. Brilliant. Anyway, back to the film. However, <laughs> sorry, I don't know. You know, you know when you don't know how to dismount from a conversation. The, I think we play a drinking game, and how often Will says "back to the film" in this episode? Yeah, everyone's dead from poisoning. Uh, however, it soon turns out that Spider-Man wasn't the only one keeping an eye on this deal, and the superhero is immediately surrounded by a dozen undercover FBI agents. The next second, Adrian Toomes emerges with his vulture suit and starts taking out the federal agents. Spider-Man webs him to try and keep the villain in place, but Adrian starts blasting a Chitauri laser at the ferry, as well as using scissors in his wings to snip the webs attached to him. Using the taser web, Spidey is able to shock the weapon out of Toomes' hands and onto the ferry, but it starts to overload, blasting out uncontrollable streams of lasers that slice the ferry in half. As the vessel starts to break apart, Vulture and Shocker escape. With the help of Karen, Spider-Man works fast at using his webs to pull both halves of the fairy back together. But just when Spider-Man thinks the job is done, most of the web starts snapping, causing the fairy to rip apart again. Diving in, Spider-Man webs both halves and tries all he can to pull it together, with him stretched in the middle. The next second... The ferry starts to move together on its own. Outside the window, Iron Man, with a flock of drones, comes in to finish the job before chastising Peter for lying to him. Uh, as we mentioned before in the podcast, I went to New York in 2017, uh, and I went with another a couple of comedians. Uh, same year this came out, basically. And when we were on the Staten Island Ferry, you know, we, all, we, we, had, we had a little chip over. Like, all was going well. And then I went to them, oh, yeah, it, I watched Spider-Man this year, and, and, and this fairy gets ripped apart. And they just went, oh, thanks for that, Will. Thanks for making me think about that war on a ferry. <laughs> <laughs> also, I only spotted it this time, and it could be a tenuous link. And you're probably going to go, no, it wasn't, Will. What are you thinking? Do you think the bit when he's being stretched, trying to pull the halves towards him, is a slight reference to the train scene from Spider-Man 2? Like in spirit, it's very similar. I don't yeah. know if it's a. I don't know if they do a reference to a previous movie, but I think I think they saw something that that kind of worked very well, and yeah. it, it kind of shows a, a desperation. And uh, yeah, I think it's very similar. Yeah, yeah. I, I really got that vibe from there. Back to the film, oh, bloody hell! <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm going to think of variations to say because it's, <laughs> it's a nice comfort phrase. It's a nice safety mat of a phrase. Back at Toombs' lair, 
Shocker points out how they've they're more at risk now. Now that Iron, now they're on Iron Man's radar and probably the rest of the Avengers' radar. Adrian asks his engineer to prepare the high altitude seal for his suit. On a rooftop near the ferry port, Iron Man flies to meet a moping Peter to tell him off for his reckless behaviour and confiscates the spider suit. Peter returns home to a very emotional Aunt May who is going out of her mind with worry about Peter's disappearances. Peter tells her that he lost the Stark internship and goes back to being a regular high school student, narrowly avoiding expulsion and apologising to Liz for ditching her at DC before asking her out to the homecoming dance. When the evening comes around, Aunt May helps an eager Peter get ready to take Liz to the dance. However, when Peter goes to pick her up, he's greeted at the front door by Adrian Toomes who turns out to be Liz's father. Now, I really need to talk about this twist. This was such a fantastic twist, wasn't it? Oh, I, my jaw dropped in the cinema. Yeah. I, I couldn't couldn't believe it. I didn't uh, see it coming at all, at all. I could feel the tension in the room. There were audible gasps in the cinema when it happened. And I think this is a great... It, it, I think the reason... I've always thought since I saw that film, the reason why... You never saw it coming because you subconsciously expect Liz's father to be black. Yeah, we're all. It's because we're, it works because we're all racist. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's my point. It works because we're yeah. ra- subconsciously we're a bit yeah. racist. At minimally, we're a bit the little racist. the little kind of internal camera and internal kind of thing in your head yeah, just, as a white person yeah. uh, is is kind of seeing things in a very weird kind of uh, perspective. Yeah, yeah, and there's enough in there like to say like oh we've established that vulture has a family no agent tombs has a family that he's kind of you know balancing yeah. out but we but we don't get enough of it but we're not left going oh we want to hear more about his family and we don't really need to know who liz's father is it's not an important thing and then it comes together in such a brilliant moment my god this really this really tied the knot for me in the film because it's like it's been fun it's been an mcu film it's been great great laughs great action and then this absolute solid twist brilliant mm. couldn't have asked for more ticked so many boxes it it kind of yeah it is really good yeah it's just great also after being shot down by tony stark after his behavior like the lead up to the homecoming dance felt like a very nice emotional recovery it's like a nice it's like okay i've been let down i've not no longer got the suit i've 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 uh, angered tony stark i've really burnt that bridge but I'm gonna gonna you know and, and he gets through almost being expelled. I'm just gonna focus on school, and it, it shows him getting back onto it. Almost feels like that bit in Spider-Man Two where he embraces being a normal person again. It had that to me. Yeah, that same vibe. So back to the Vulture in the comic books. Is there any connection uh, in between Spider-Man and Vulture in their secret identities as that massive twist, or is it completely different? It is completely different, but there is a connection. Yeah. Um, so, Adrian Sims in the comics is a very old man. Yeah. And um, during one of his periods of ill health, he strikes up a friendship with a guy called Nathan. Mm. Um, and, and Nathan has become the new, like, love of Aunt May's life. Ooh. And they're both, una- you know, Nathan's unaware that this, this Adrian guy is the vulture. 
Um, and, uh, and like, like Toombs is like down in his life and gets just given up. And Nathan is a disabled person and, and he's encouraging him, like, come on, you can't let the things that drag you down. You can't just because you're not very well. Mm. You, you know, you have to do things and you have to do what you want to do and you have to do it. And basically inspires him to become a criminal again. Bloody <laughs> hell. But. But but Nathan doesn't know what he's inspiring him to do. That is um, great, like vague inspirational support. So like, I don't know yeah. what you do, but you should do it to, the, to be the best you you can be. <laughs> you can um, be. And then there's a, a, a battle not long after that between uh, Vulture and Spider Man, yeah. um, and Aunt May is a bystander, mm. and Vulture tries to take Aunt May captive, and Nathan, despite being handicapped throws himself sort of on the vulture and says, you leave her alone. Vulture doesn't recognise who this guy is, grabs him, flies him high up into the sky, into the sky to be like, don't ever mess with him. And then he realises it's his friend Nathan. Hmm. Um, it's too late. Nathan dies of a heart attack. Oh. And this does really affect Vulture. And it sets him off into this thing of he needs to get Aunt May's forgiveness for having essentially killed Nathan. Mm. Um, so there's a connection there. He goes about doing this by terrorising as the vulture, by breaking in, holding Aunt May captive, terrorising Peter in his civilian identity, and like demanding that she forgive him and pleading with her, but also under menaces. Um, and it's, it's so, so we get to see Peter Parker trying to fight the, the vulture, um, and then having to pull his punches so his identity is not revealed. and So there is a weird connection there. Yeah. yeah. But it's not a long connection. It doesn't Yeah. What a story. As Peter waits for Liz, he shares an uncomfortable moment with Adrian, who has no idea who Peter is. Adrian drives Liz and Peter to the homecoming dance, Adrian's attention perks up when Liz tells her dad how Peter hangs around with Spider-Man. As the couple start to bicker about Peter's unexplained disappearances when Spider-Man has been around, Adrian suddenly realises that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. When they arrive at the dance, Adrian tells his daughter to go on ahead while he gives, Pe gives Peter the dad talk. As Liz goes to meet her friends, Adrian starts to interrogate Peter about whether Liz knows about his alter ego, but seeing as Spider-Man saved his daughter, he lets Peter off with a threat. Walk away, forget everything that's happened, and if Peter interferes with Adrian's businesses again, Toombs will kill Peter and everyone he loves. Peter, in shock, leaves the car, walks up to Liz in the dance hall, and apologises before running to get his Spider-Man equipment, leaving her at the dance. As Spider-Man runs to the parking lot, Shocker is waiting for him and uses his shock fists to knock one of his web shooters to the ground and starts punching school buses at Spidey. Just as Shocker is about to land a finishing move on the web slinger, a stray web shoots and grabs Shocker's fists, fired by Ned. Spider gets to his feet and webs up Shocker before explaining the whole situation to Ned. Spidey tells his friend to get to a computer to help him before commandeering Flash Thompson's car and driving away. This was such a tense watch in the cinema, wasn't it? You just didn't know when it was going to kick off. It felt very much like... In the, in the comic books, there's this situation where um, 
Norman Osborn and Peter Parker know each other's secret identities. Yes, but, yes. But but Norman Osborn is afflicted by we believe amnesia, but we don't know if that's real or false. And they have this domestic situation because Pete lives with Norman's son Harry, uh, and there are lots of very tense scenes there where mm. um, it's not quite clear who knows what. And this felt very much like that. Yeah, I, I really, I really, I really, really got that vibe. But like watching this again with that in mind, after you do, after you've been doing this the podcast, I was like, ah, yeah, I can see what they're trying to pick at here. Mm. Yeah. So I think this is a good time to take a closer look at the vulture. We've been getting little tidbits from you about little bits he's done, but let's let's deep dive into Adrian Toomes. He's a bald old man with a distinctive <laughs> shaped nose that looks, and he looks like a bit like a vulture because uh, Stanley's not subtle in the slightest, never oh, has been. Oh, Rob, could you tell us the story of Adrian Toomes? No, no, once upon a time. He's a bold old man. <laughs> That's exactly what he is. He's a bald old man. Uh, he, he's um, an inventor, and ele- you know, an en- like Stanley thinks thinks the things he thinks the engineers can do. Yeah. Um, he's uh, an inventor and an engineer. Is, he he develops an electromagnetic harness mm. that allows the wearer to uh, turn off gravity and fly to a certain extent. Mm. Um, and as he is showing this to his business partner at the company they own uh, he discovers his business partner is embezzling money from the company Ooh. and when tombs wearing the harness goes to confront him he discovers that this kind of anti-gravity thing also gives him a lot of strength as well um it's kind of like i don't know how to describe it it turns off the gravity for the person you grab and throw or punch or i i don't yeah. quite, or it increases the gravity. I don't know. Something to do with electromagnetic gravity means he can fly, and you're a lot, lot stronger. Mm. Um, he he is uh, kicked out of the yeah. He's somehow fired from his own company and kicked off the board and stuff. And Tombs goes off to like to fully develop this harness and to make it into something proper. Um, and then he he finds out that his old company has been. Um, sold out from under him and so off he goes to like steal money from them his money steal his own money back mm. after he builds this flight suit but it's not mechanical in the slightest the harness is like a small backpack with um, an actual harness that you wear and kind of like wired things running down the arms and the legs and that's it and the wings aren't necessary really they're there for aerodynamics they, they doesn't have an engine or anything like that they're just like they're made of a material, and mm. you know, an aerodynamic material. And he wears this green. He, he looks like a green vulture, um, and he's he enjoys the experience of stealing money so much. He's like, I'll do it for a living. Um, <laughs> after that first encounter with Spider-Man, when he gets beaten, he he doubles down on his new life as a winged predator. Uh, he becomes a founding member of the Sinister Six. Um, yeah. And uh, they, uh, along with Dr. Octopus, Sandman, Mysterio, Electro, and Craven the Hunter. Um, being an old man is kind of like the driving characteristic of the Vulture. Driving characteristic? I'm an old it, it, it man! It really is. Yeah, he's the only kind of old man supervillain. Yeah. Um, he battles ill health. He retires just from, from action because it's too much. He goes on to develop cancer. Um, at one stage, he develops 
a new invention that allows him to drain the life force from other people wow. and makes it makes him younger and the other person older. So oh. he does, does it he does it to Spider-Man in a battle. Yeah. He makes himself young and healthy again, and Spider-Man becomes, you know, old and decrepit. They the did effect- this in the uh, cartoon, didn't they? They actually. Did- I'm getting to it. <laughs> What's that where for? Sorry, that's. I shouldn't have done that. That no. is actually a noise me and my wife do to each other. If we annoy each other, <laughs> oh we go wee God. at each other. Right. Well, if you don't want me to annoy you, don't interrupt me. Sorry. <laughs> that's my solution to that one. So he drives the the, the, the the this kind of draining life force doesn't last um but he can keep doing it and keep himself nice and young and uh, then he does it to peter parker's mother uh although it's not peter parker's mother it's a period of time where peter parker's mother has actually been replaced by a lifelike cyborg with artificial life posing as as mary parker anyway the vulture steals her life force and that means he is now permanently cured um for permanently young permanently cured for cancer also as far as spider-man is aware he's just murdered his own mother um it's a very strange setup and yes that version of young vulture with flowing hair um and builds himself an armored flight suit and that's the version of the vulture that we get in the animated series ah there Um, we go the uh, and shows up in action figures and video games the youthful vulture is a lot more kind of marketable than the old man um (laughs) when he's old he also goes around trying to murder anyone that remembers him as an old man because he, he he has this thing about having a clean slate, and yeah. he doesn't want anyone to think of him as an old man. So he goes sets about to kill them all. That's that's a weird thing to to get, killing people to get a clean slate when it's just like you're just dirtying your current slate. Yep, yeah, he's not he's not right in the head. No, no, um, not at all. So yeah, he the youth eventually um, was reversed, and he becomes an old geezer again. Mm. Um, there's a memorable 2012 storyline where Dan Slott's run an Amazing Spider-Man. He makes the Vulture a modern day Fagin, um, <laughs> who recruits a gang of child delinquents Amazing. and gives them the power to fly. And they all go about doing his bidding, fly, flying around skyscrapers and stealing from the rich of Manhattan and snatching perches. If they did it uh, as a musical. Snatching purses. If they did it as a musical like Oliver, they would have been like, you got a super handbag or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and uh, Tombs controls all these kids with not just the threat of violence, but the constant threat of turning off their anti-gravity in midair. Oh, it's like a premium subscription. <laughs> You've got to earn your wings, literally. You've got to bring me enough money on every every day or... Off it goes. Oh, man. Suddenly, YouTube premium adverts aren't so bad. (laughs) Back to the film. Contacting Ned using his other phone, Spider-Man gets his friend to track Toombs' car using Peter Parker's phone that he left in the back seat. While helping Spider-Man track Toombs, Ned also keeps trying to call Happy Hogan to tell him what's going on. But Hogan mentions lifting off before angrily hanging up. Relaying this information to Parker, Spider-Man realises that the plane with all of Stark's and the Avengers' equipment on is Toombs' next target. Spider-Man reaches Agent's lair in no time and finds the place completely deserted until running into Adrian alone at a workbench. 
As Adrian explains his reasons for selling the weapons, he uses his time to remotely pilot the Vulture suit with Spider-Man without Spider-Man knowing, which comes crashing through the walls, destroying support pillars, causing Spidey to become buried under a mound of rubble, allowing Vulture to fly away as Parker is left to die. The remote controlling of the flight suit felt very much like the remote controlling of the goblin glider in the first movie. Yeah, that's a... I, I, I was very that. struck by that. Yeah, but then again, at this point, we're, we're, we're dealing with a high-tech suit. So it's just like, yeah, that thing's remote-controlled. It's fine. That's, <laughs> that's believable. I, 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 everything I've seen in this, from like all the technology, all the gadgets and everything, is like, yeah, he's definitely put remote control. He's definitely done that. Also, the phone in the back seat with Ned helping. Uh, this, this, this felt like a clever thing to me on this rewatch. It felt like a callback of using Tony Stark tracker to find Toomba's Lair in Maryland. But this time, they're going... I don't need to. I don't need the suit. I can do it my own way. It felt like a very subtle sort of comparison yeah, to that. That's really smart. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah, didn't clock it until this time. But it's a nice touch that he, that Peter is redeeming himself. He is. He isn't nothing without the suit. He's got his own ingenuity, and yeah. we see it here. A, a complete mirror of that situation. Brilliant. Also, does has Spider Man ever had a sidekick like a guy in the chair, as they say? No, he's not. He's not had like a guy in the chair like this. He doesn't, um, doesn't feel like he needs one. I never I, felt I, like that. No, I always felt like because there was a lot of criticism of Mary Jane, his wife, um, in in later years, that marriage being this this thing that kind of affects the dynamic of Spider Man. Mm. I always thought that should have been her role, really. That it, it, you know, it, it, it <laughs> lumping been, the admin with the wife, <laughs> ha- having Mary Jane contribute in 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 that way, and yeah. being someone I can imagine her being good with computers and Pete. Pete strikes me as a guy who's really good with engineering and stuff, but not good with computers. Yeah. I know that sounds weird, but it does strike anyway. I always thought that could be a good role for her. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. an odd character called Alpha, uh, a teenager called Andy Maguire, who's from the same high school as Peter Parker, and he attends like a science experiment that Parker's giving at Horizon Labs, mm. and this accident that Pete's in charge of goes wrong, and. Andy Maguire gains superpowers as a result, kind of mirroring what happened to Peter Parker. It's a really I good would... thing in this Marvel universe when, you know, terrible accidents are just, you know, a, re- a reawakening for some people. It's a, it's, 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 yeah. it's a way of retraining instead of horribly dying. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, he, yeah, so this, this, this guy gets, like, vast, vast superpowers and... Yeah. Um, Spider-Man feels very, very responsible and tries to train him and gets superheroes involved. I mean, uh, it's a it's a brief story and I, I it doesn't last. And it, yeah, I wouldn't really call him a sidekick, but that's kind of as close as it gets. What's interesting about it is that once again, Dan Slott kind of uses these opportunities to show us how unique Peter Parker is because this kid gets lots and lots of power in an accident, mm. and he's an absolute arsehole he's um, vain and self-interested and he's reckless and he's out for himself and you know almost almost look at what could have been with 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 peter barker if he hadn't have been taught such horrible lessons quite early on um but yeah it's uh, i wouldn't exactly call him a sidekick really but you might do yeah yeah that makes sense i guess coming to 
Pete finds himself buried under a huge amount of rubble and cries out for help. Realising he's all alone, Pete uses all of his strength to climb free from the rubble and goes to stop the vulture, webbing onto the villain as he lifts off to go after Stark's plane. As Spidey struggles to keep attached to Vulture without being noticed, Stark's plane activates its cloaking panels, rendering it almost invisible. Toombs reaches the plane and infiltrates it, finding no pilots on board. The entire thing is automated, with no one there to stop him stealing anything from Chitauri weapons to Iron Man's arsenal. An alarm sounds inside the plane, alerting Adrian that Spider-Man is clinging to the side of the plane. Adrian goes back in the Vulture suit and fights Spider-Man, causing damage to the plane's engines, forcing it to lose altitude. Seeing that the plane is about to crash into the city, Spider-Man forces the plane wing flaps to manually steer it to safety towards Coney Island Beach. From across the city, Happy Hogan looks on in shock as he sees the plane crash land in the distance. I'm genuinely surprised that the uh, plane cloaking technology doesn't exist already. I mean, there is absolutely no use for it, but I'm sure some crazy billionaire would just go, hey, I've got an invisible plane. Look at this. How do you know it doesn't? How do you know it doesn't exist? How do you know invisible planes aren't already around us? All the time, they're invisible. Oh, oh, look at you with the... It reminds me, actually, there was, um, I remember an episode of TV Burp, he showed a clip about the uh, a documentary on stealth stealth jets, stealth bobbers, and the, the clip, they're like a talking head from someone in the Air Force is going, oh yeah, when, when you've got a stealth bomber, you get noticed, and Harry Hill's like, I thought that was against the entire point. <laughs> Harry Hill's TV Burp was one of the funniest shows, man. I used to love watching. There was a so point, good. There was a point where it went a bit downhill for me. But it was so funny at times. It was just yeah. the best. So I read somewhere that when I was doing my research that being trapped under the rubble is actually taken from a comic book. Can you uh, elaborate on that? Elaborate I can, me old mucker. Me old mucker. Um, if this be my destiny from uh, 1965 to 1966, it's, mm. it's like the first story arc really in spider-man okay um in general with spider-man comics in the early days mm. and, and 65 is very early um whilst the soap opera of spider-man's a uh, peter's life would carry over in general the, the 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 dramatic stories and the bad guy was kind of like resolved at the end of every issue right yeah i get you it would develop eventually into the wonderful kind of use of cliffhangers mm. um and, and stories that that go on and this was kind of the first story arc it went over three issues and it's about dr octopus and stuff um stanley and steve ditko came up with it and um yeah it's so what happens in it is aunt, aunt may's dying pete has life-saving medicine gets into a big fight with dr octopus and he gets buried under all this tons of heavy machinery Oof. and left to die as as the place where he is, is is begins to flood and the water he's pinned to the floor and the water's pouring in so it's creeping higher and higher um it's a sisyphean task trying to move all that weight oh absolutely and he knows his aunt is dying and he can see the medicine and it's just out of reach but he's pinned under all this rubble and about to drown 
And this being trapped under rubble, it goes on for five pages. Oh, it's dear. just five pages of multiple panels, uh, an action adventure comic book. That's kind of unheard of. Mm. You know, the, the the action character pinned to the floor. He's talking to himself. He can't believe what's happened. He's haunted by visions of of uh, his family of letting everyone down again. Um, it's 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 an iconic, very very famous moment in Spider-Man history. Comics historian Les Daniels, who we talked about several times on the show, he notes that Steve Ditko squeezes every ounce of anguish out of Spider-Man's predicament, complete with visions of the uncle he failed and the aunt he has sworn to save. Mm. Um, and a great Marvel writer called um, Peter David also kind of spoke about this I- iconic kind of moment in the story is that after his origin this two-page sequence is perhaps the best love sequence from the stanley steve ditko era um and it's yeah it, it's it's really it's really something special stanley tells the story that he when he came up with the plot he only really intended for spider-man to be trapped under the uh, rubble for a you know a couple of panels and then when he sees the pages that steve ditko sends back and submits it's become this five page kind of very emotional very dramatic story and it it's it's incredible stanley says he shouted in triumph when he saw them because there's it yeah. builds and builds and builds and builds to pete finally realizing He's. It has to be him. He has to dig deep. He has to, you know, he has to do it for the people that he loves, and he manages to lift this insurmountable amount of kind of weight off him. And it's, uh, yeah, it's it's impressive, especially for its age and its era. Oh, fantastic! Good to hear. That's we really- don't get it quite. And I mean, I I, I wish we had a, a a a tiny bit of some of that in this. I mean, really, he just he's there briefly, and then he shouts for help, and he gets up like something. I don't know what we could have had here, but. But some visions or a bit more tension. I don't know. Maybe that's too difficult to do in an action movie. Yeah, especially in the late stages of it. And we've already had the kind of like tension before that with the reveal. And he's been knocked to the floor in the shocker battle as well. It would just seem but, like. But this is the moment where he's meant to mm. believe in himself and really yeah. get up and be a hero. And it just doesn't feel like it's quite long enough or, or doesn't quite have enough tension and drama to it. It's yeah. just he's briefly pinned down okay 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 that makes sense as spider-man emerges from the wreck vulture flies in and starts to beat spidey the two fight and struggle on the beach until adrian notices an open crate of arc reactors and attempts to fly away with them seeing the vulture's wings struggle and remembering what happened with the chitauri energy core peter realizes that adrian's wings are going to explode and kill him and tries to stop the villain flying away in order to save him as adrian cuts away the webbing and tries to fly away the suit shorts out and he plummets to the ground peter runs over and rescues tombs away from the wreckage of his vulture suit hogan along with the authorities arrives at the beach to find tombs webbed up against the wreckage alive and well and ready to be arrested i like that the last bit of that battle is Peter trying to save Tombs with a callback from earlier on in the film. It sets up this little bit really nice. Callback in what way, mate? Because of the exploding Chitauri core. The, he realises, oh, I remember how that ah, happened right, before. Okay. He recognises okay. it's the same thing that's going to happen that happened mm. in the Washington Monument. So it was a nice little callback. 
I'm yeah. I'm I'm not technically sure that's a callback. That's just the story. But that's yeah. It's a thing that we saw happen previously. What there needs to be, there needs to be a word for a sub. Not callback. not yeah. Not everything. Not every. Otherwise, everything could be a callback, couldn't it? Everything that's a you know, like <laughs> when Peter Parker meets Ned for the second time, you say oh, it was a callback to when he first met. We first saw Ned in the scene before. Like you, you know, know what I'm trying to say. Stop I do being know mean. what you mean. But I only picked you up because callback really tripped me up because I was like, oh, what did I miss? What is the little nod or the little thing that I missed? It's more exact, um, isn't it, a callback, isn't it? Uh, I, I don't quite know. Yeah, no, no one really knows. It's a term that came out of nowhere. No but, one knows what it means, and no one knows how to use it properly. <laughs> but yes, I agree with you. Um, yeah. Peter Parker trying, uh, uh, trying and succeeding to save tombs is a great moment great uh, a good a good moment and it's it becomes quite vital as we go forward as well oh I damn believe. right the next day at school peter apologizes to liz for abandoning her at the dance and learns her and her mum are moving to oregon as her dad doesn't want them around for his trial before leaving with her mother liz tells parker that whatever is going on with him she hope he figures it out at the academic decathlon team meeting, Michelle, the girl who keeps mocking and teasing Peter throughout the film, is nominated as their team captain, or, as she likes to be known as, MJ. Peter gets a call from Happy Hogan and meets him to learn that Tony Stark wants to talk with Peter. Hogan drives Parker to the new Avengers facility in Upstate, where Tony Stark congratulates him for what he did against the Vulture, and offers Peter Parker a new suit and a place alongside the Avengers. Peter tells Tony, thanks, but Parker would prefer just to be a friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. Peter asks Tony if this was just a test, and Stark replies, yes, before Pepper Potts enters from a full press room that's ready to announce Spider-Man as the newest member of the Avengers. With no Loved that cameo. That was Loved a, that cameo. That was such a great little moment. With no new member of the Avengers to announce, Tony uses the press conference to propose to Pepper Potts. As Pe Parker returns home, he finds that Stark has returned the better Spider-Man suit to him as promised. Peter triumphantly puts the suit on, ready to face whatever comes next. Just as Aunt May walks in on him. Bloody hell, do, that last I, I, scene. I do love that what we get from the Spider-Man movies is that it seems like the end of every end is a is a cliffhanger. Which, yes. Which kind of is a is a nice little tribute or nod to how the, the, the traditional comic books go with Spider-Man. I didn't notice that before. I thought this was just a nice little funny bit. But yeah, you're right. It is a cliffhanger because it's just... I think it is. I'm not 100% sure we got in the last movie because I can't quite remember. No, but, we do. Um... We do get a cliffhanger okay, when his cool. identity gets... Uh... Okay, yep. okay. No, that's not the last movie. Oh, yeah. The la oh, yeah. 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 So I'm not, sorry, I'm not sure. Sorry but, yeah. I you said the next movie. Also, Zendaya in this. Really liked her and how they sneakily set her up to, to be MJ without you realising. That was a nice... Awesome. And and she kind of carries the energy from this movie over into Euphoria, where it's like <laughs> kind of like a just a, a more adult version of her being sleepy and grumpy all the time. Is a Euphoria worth watching? It depends. Yeah, I, I, I looked at it and went, oh, I don't know, this is, good. This is another heavy HBO prestige drama. Oh, it's not heavy, mate. It's all about isn't 
aren't the dramas of being a teenager really actually important? Yeah. It's a bit it's a bit much for me, really. Yeah, I, 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 I don't it's a bit soapy. Yeah, I get uh, that. She was good in June. But it's very well made and all the acting's very good. She was good in June for what for what little as she was in that film. She'll be uh, a lot more in, in this. But I really what I really loved was she was snippy. She was uh sarcastic, but in a way that was just really witty. Like when mm. she when Peter's in detention and she just goes, "Oh, I, I, I just like like you're not supposed to be here. I know. I just like drawing people in their weakest moments." And then here's great. you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just great. It's wonderful. So, the big question before we get to the uh, post post credit scenes: Does Spider Man ever join the Avengers in the comic books? Well, we had a couple of teasers at the start, didn't we? Where it didn't we happen. Did. Um, but yes, it does eventually um, happen. So after House of M, mm. where the Avengers right before have been completely uh, well, mm, Avengers disassembled, the Avengers are destroyed by Wanda, Scarlet Witch. Then we have House of M. On the other end of that, um, there there is this. So the whole thing about the original Avengers is that they were thrown together seemingly by fate to try and stop. Um, the first thing they were brought together to to, to fight. What was the first uh, thing they brought together? Oh, don't do this. Okay, it's the Hulk, but it's not the Hulk. It's the Phantom Stranger, and there's a whole. I don't want to get sorry, into it. Really, sorry. It was just they were accidentally kind of brought together, mm. and afterwards they went. This we perhaps the world is needed for this. Yeah. So after the Avengers are dis, 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 destroyed and dismembered, um, the Raft Superhuman security prison um there's an explosion and a mass breakout and spider-man web swings his way over there to try and help and when he gets there he encounters people that are already doing the same thing captain america iron man spider-woman luke cage Mm. and uh, daredevil and this kind of forms the new avengers um and uh they're a brand new outfit and they don't have any connection to the government um which means that it's a lot easier for spider-man to join like he doesn't have to be involved with the government reveals identity do any of that go on a payroll like this is like an almost an unofficial team of avengers um we we end up getting um wolverine joining the team and, and echo and stuff like that um and this is where peter Mary Jane and and May move to Avengers Tower. This is where Tony then recruits Peter Parker to work for him, and his life kind of turns around. Nice. Um, so yeah, that's the new Avengers. That team is torn apart by the Civil War, um, and Spidey ends up swapping sides, joining a team of Rebel Avengers, who are branded criminals by Tony Stark and the government, and essentially kind of on the run and in hiding under threat of being locked up by Shield. Fantastic. So, in a mid-credit scene, Adrian Toomes is led into prison and bumps into Matt Gargan, saying he has heard that the latter knows Spider-Man's real identity. But Toomes denies this. In a short, I, yeah. Before we get into the very last thing, how did you interpret that? I see. I, I've seen this bit a few times, and I don't know whether. Adrian Toomes is like keeping it to himself to ha- as a way of dominance or power or if it's like he's the guy saved my life I might as well pay him back on this one 
It's the second one, I think. For me, yeah. I, I, if we go back to that scene in the limo, that he makes a point of saying, "I owe you because yeah. you saved my daughter's life," and he does keep to that right up until Pete breaks breaks that. that you know, I, I I had a I have a feeling it's it's along those lines. That's what it feels like to me. That would make sense. But the first time I saw that, that's how I read it. But this time, I was like, "Oh, I see." Yeah. And finally, in a short post-credit scene, Captain America mocks you for waiting until the end. Is this the beginning of the of the final of the final one being like the unimportant one? Well, yeah, it's the first one that ha- did that, and then every now and again they do that, and it's really annoying. I think one time the final post-credit scene was just a trailer for the next film. I won't tell you which one that was, but that really like that that angered me a bit. Mm, I was the same. Yeah. I was the same. Yeah. Um, wow, mega, an absolute mega. mega. Uh, let's all catch our breath as we get ready for Will to let us know his final thoughts on the movie. So, what to say about Spider-Man: Homecoming after seeing it several times? I swear, this film gets better with every single viewing. I know that's uh, something people say, but I try not to say it too many times, but I genuinely mean it when I say it with this film. This is such a great movie. Easily one of the best MCU films. It felt like they knew what a major character they were dealing with and how precarious the deal with Sony was, so they made sure this film was as good as possible on its own while still fitting nicely into the MCU. Tom Holland. Tom Holland brings this charming whimsy to a role with very little brooding. He genuinely feels like how a real teenager would react with these powers. And Michael Keaton plays a great villain. Sure, from what I've read, not the vulture from the comics, but the end result here is great. The humour in the film feels at home. It doesn't feel like someone was trying to cram in as many quick laughs as possible as other films. It really feels organic and woven in. And it's just crazy, crazy looking back on what happens when you know uh, what happens in the next two films. In a way, it's nice to go back and watch Peter Parker in simpler times. Thanks, Will. Our reading list um, for today's episode. Um, I think Ultimate Spider-Man is an incredible place to begin when we want to talk about a modern telling of the Spider-Man story with a young teenage Peter Parker. Ultimate Spider-Man by Brian Michael Bendis. Of course, we're going to have a massive big episode on, bonus episode on that on our Patreon. Um, If you want the Peter Parker-Tony Stark relationship, check out um, Amazing Spider-Man Civil War by J. Michael Straczynski. Um, It's a bit odd, really. It's an odd time in spider-man's uh life and history but that is where that that kind of that's the only place that relationship exists um if you want to know more about uh damage control um who are not a government department but a kind of a fun funny um uh private company that have to deal with the fallout of big superhero battles which is kind of a cool theme in this movie then check out damage control the complete collection by Dwayne mcduffie it's a funny comedy series and it's a it's a it's a it's a lot of fun superheroes are in the background if your favorite part of this movie was kind of the the teen relationships and burgeoning kind of teen love between peter parker and the characters then i highly recommend spider-man loves mary jane that's a series by sean 
Makiva that really mainly focuses on the kind of soap opera love story um, and the Peter Parker's relationship with Mary Jane more than kind of superheroic stuff um as ever please do not use amazon to get hold of your comic books it's much better for the industry if you support a comic book shop now there are loads of local ones you can find with a quick google bricks and mortar stores you can walk to um, plenty of places you can call up and order or you can find a comic book shop online. It's a real small company run by real small people. Um, but they'll they'll deliver out. They'll take a credit card transaction. They'll take PayPal. They'll deliver the comics to your door if you don't want to leave the house. It might take a little bit longer than in Amazon. But you'll be doing the comic book industry a lot of good. Our next episode, me and Will get to take a first look at She-Hulk. I'm loving this series so far on Disney+. Plus. Cannot wait to dive into that. Um, and don't forget you can get access to cool bonus episodes, patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel. And don't forget to support our amazing sponsors, offworldtees.com. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to like us, rate us, subscribe, leave a big five-star review, recommend us to a friend who loves Marvel movies. Don't forget to join us next time for our first look at She-Hulk and head on over to patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel for awesome bonus content. <laughs> <laughs>